This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is James Lindsay. James Lindsay is an author and a speaker and the, I guess, producer or editor and lead writer of New Discourses.com as well as the podcast New Discourses. He is uh, well read, probably the foremost scholar. Um, outside of the academy on critical theory, postmodernism, and their applied effect within academia and other institutions. He is usually on my show about once a month uh, recently, and so you probably already know him in this conversation. We talk about his debate at Oxford, where he debated that woke hasn't gone too far and cannot go too far for some strange reason. He was put on the pro-woke side, even though his work is concentrating on being very anti-woke. And uh, so we talk about that. And then we also talk about the ties between postmodernism, critical theory, and Gnosticism. Fascinating guy, fascinating conversation. Without further ado, here is James Lindsay. Let's see. We should be live. You Are ended live? your you you ended your Oxford debate with uh, Latin and I, Latin. Yeah, it was mathematic Latin though. But I usually just say QED. But you said the whole dang phrase. What was it? Well, I was at Oxford. Like I'm in a tux. Like it's it's almost midnight. Like I've got to do this all out. And what was the phrase? The phrase "quota rot demonstrandum." Yeah. What does that mean? Quote so, rot quote demonstrat- demonstrandum. That which is demonstrated. Uh, it's what you say at the end of a mathematical proof. And so I figured I gave literally a mathematical proof worth of rigor to the argument that I gave that if we accept. So this is the way mathematics works. And a lot of people don't understand this. Um, I said a long time ago, and I've been saying for a long time, that mathematics is philosophy where virtually everybody involved agrees upon the axioms. Even if you don't subscribe to a mathematical axiom like the the axiom of infinity or the axiom of choice or something like this, you state which axioms you're working under and everybody says, well, okay, under axiom of choice, even if they don't agree with it. And so it's philosophy, which means, you know, logical deduction, induction, et cetera, done explicitly on a set of axioms where people agree upon them. And so with this, if we accept the woke axioms as what does it mean to be woke? If we accept the definition of woke that I gave as uh, a valid definition of woke and take that as a proposition for what it means to be woke and what woke culture represents, what I presented wasn't an argument. It was a proof. Woke culture cannot go too far in its own terms. And thus, the proposition before the House is woke culture has not gone too far or has gone too far. And I was opposing it. So my position was woke culture has not gone too far. But if it cannot go too far, then by definition, it has not gone too far. And so I actually delivered not that I agree with the argument, but on their terms, if we accept the definition of woke, I delivered a mathematical proof that woke culture has not gone too far. Or okay. a philosophical proof, not a mathematical proof. And so I thought it'd be fun and fitting to end it with QED. Yeah, yeah. So just briefly, uh, for the people who haven't watched that 10-minute video, and it's linked in the description, people should watch it 
beautiful performance. And uh, oh, thank you. and the transcript, actually, I, I reread through the transcript, so everything is just right there. Um, you did burp once, I saw, but uh, it didn't make it into the recording. Uh, oh, well, it, I mean, looking, like I said, it was frame. like midnight. They plied us with alcohol because they <laughs> delayed us by almost three hours. <laughs> Wait, what? People in the comments were like, I think they've been drinking. That's correct. We've had them. <laughs> So what what is the proof then? What's the assumption, the axiomatic principles of what is called wokeness? Okay, so I gave so the, I'll just kind of do a quick like yeah. won't be that quick moratorium or you know of what happened. I went out first. The proposition before the house was this house is resolved. Woke culture has gone too far. I was in the opposition to that by some set of mysterious errors that nobody could account for. Uh, literally, everybody was mystified as to how this happened, but I was thrilled that it occurred. And so um, I started off by struggling Oxford, or the Oxford Union. I shouldn't say Oxford. Oxford and Oxford Union are not the same thing. Um, I started off by pointing out that woke culture hasn't gone too far because it hasn't even come to Oxford Union. In other words, you all aren't even woke. So how can you even ask this question? So I started off with this debate is absurd. And then I said, after kind of that three minutes, I only get 10 minutes after like three and a half minutes of this throat clearing and kind of being funny in that regard, slightly ironic, delivering some of my uh, history, um, which was Andrew Doyle's suggestion. We went to dinner a couple nights before in London, and he he thought that would be a brilliant thing to do is to mention some specific things that I had done that would really infuriate the woke. So I threw some of those in there. Um, I finished my throat clearing and called my outfit colonizer former whale at formal wear after getting everybody to, to clap for it, which was funny. Uh, and then I said that I draw my definition of woke from Paolo Ferreri's notion of conscientization to be woke is to be conscientized as Paolo Ferreri intended it as the theories have evolved into these various identity politics based, as I say, Marxist, uh, developments since, um, you know, Freire's books came out in 70 and uh, 85, like 92 or something like that. It's been a while. And so things have developed in terms of how it manifests. But being woke means being conscious, critically conscious yes. in the Freirean sense of the, in his words, dehumanizing forms that structure reality and domesticating modes in which we uh, engage with reality that keep us content with the status quo. And so being woke means being aware of those, but in his own words, it also means being critical of them, which is to denounce them such that you announce the possibility of a different future. So that's my definition of woke. And then I said that woke pursues social justice. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was going to That's ask. the purpose of it is to okay. pursue social justice. And nobody disagrees with this. Everybody, this is universally agreed upon because it's just. And what is social justice according well, to that's, the woke? According to whom? Well, if, if, if the process by which woke operates is constant disruption of normativity, but it's got to mm -hmm. go in some direction because it can't, it can't just be unbounded restlessness, which is one thing that you could say it is, but according to them, they want regard. justice. They want what? Peace, equanimity. They want equity. They want fairness. They want equity. They want equity. Yeah. But they want equity that's not imposed. And so that's the definition that I gave. I said that social justice is the, is the consummation of social equity. Okay. And I defined social equity as it's defined in the public administration literature, which comes 
uh, from, say, George Fredrickson, Dwight Waldo, et cetera. Uh, Dwight Waldo did not define equity, but George Fredrickson did. And social equity became kind of the third leg of the stool of public administration through the late 60s going through maybe the mid-80s. And social equity is defined as adjusting shares so that citizens are made equal. That just so happens to be the definition of socialism as well. I've actually gone on stage and said, I mean, like multiple venues, this has never failed one time. I get on stage and I say, I'm going to give you a definition. You tell me what word I define. And I say a political, an administered political economy in which shares are adjusted so citizens are made equal. Everybody says either socialism, Marxism, or communism every single time. But that's actually the definition, the formal definition of social equity under what's called social equity theory. So what Marx wanted was to install a dictatorship of the proletariat that would enforce redistribution in socialism of material wealth, of, of material resources. And uh, eventually the administering part would wither away. It would no longer be needed because people's values would change by living under this circumstance. He called that the inversion of praxis. That society is construed a certain way, it socially conditions people, and that's called the inversion of praxis. And so you do your praxis to change the world, to change the organization of society, that's your activism. And then in turn, society conditions people to accept society, that's the underlying Gnostic theory. And in so doing, um, if you enforce socialism on people with enough uh, firmness, was in a fury maybe, then eventually people will come to be socialist people. They will be awakened to socialism, they'll be re-educated into socialism, they'll see socialism and becoming socialists themselves, there will be no need for an administering body, no need for a state any longer and you, would, you it's supposed to be a classless circumstance under socialism becomes stateless and classless under communism okay. so as it matures. How would that work? You, Everybody would naturally want to work their butts off and receive the same amount as everybody else, regardless of ability, effort, intention, intelligence. That's right. Okay. Yeah, see, we would just naturally would, want to pitch into no, society. Naturally, under a new nature, under a new remade human nature, and that new remade human nature would envision uh, – you would understand your contribution to society and, and find value in the fact that you voluntarily doing some you know, cleaning shit out of a pipe – that you definitely don't want to touch somehow contributes to society and, and, and lifts up the all. And therefore you want to do it because it's your, your sacred duty. And, and everybody allegedly is going to want to do this because the only people who will be allowed to continue in the program are people who adopt that mentality or have that mentality forced upon them. Okay. But if, if nobody's there assigning people tasks, somehow we're just going to naturally see what needs to be done and everybody will just do whatever needs to be done. Like it's, whether it's, it's a little farcical, isn't it? Okay. Well, I, I just, I, I just wonder if that's the assumption. I don't know how it works. It's part of work, the assumption, but, but the rest of the assumption is also that technology will continue to progress until humans don't have to do any shitty jobs they don't want to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's always had an element of, of kind of, of... Futurism. You know, uh, deus ex technology. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, so robots are going to do all the shit work for us eventually. We just have to figure out how to make the machines do it all. And in the meantime... You know, we're going to have to do the farm work. We're going to have to do the sewage work. We're going to have to do the hard labor. The hammer is for for building things and machinery. And yeah. the sickle is for harvesting. I mean, that's what those symbols mean. And, and so in the short term, 
yes and no, but that's why you have an administering state that's going to make sure it works until everything consummates. What I said, though, is in what I believe, honestly, I'm not just doing an act, is that social justice functions in the same way in comparison to social equity, where Marx was talking about redistributing material uh, resources or re material capital uh, that's now been extended to include forms of social capital, cultural capital, human capital, these other kinds of more abstruse capital. And I even, in the, of course, in the debate, accused Karl Marx of being a, and I quote, damned conservative yeah. because he was a white European male who didn't understand the forms of social and cultural capital he benefited from and thus was blind to them, which is the way the woke would see that. Okay. So taking the idea of this natural, this new nature that redistributes uh, jobs and wealth uh, just kind mm -hmm. of spontaneously, when, when you add the Gramscian social element to it and this you know, social justice, this moral redistribution, this power redistribution. How are people going to act when we live in a world where some people are smarter, some people are taller, some people are stronger, some people are able to give birth and some people are not able to give birth? How is that nature, that social justice nature, going to redistribute biologically these various things? We see them trying this and, and, of course, failing. It doesn't work. Um, look at the things that they're doing. You know, they're they're trying to uh, they're suppressing all across Virginia. This scandal is now proving at least across northern Virginia. And I think we're up to seven different school districts now. Like this isn't a mistake where they've just stopped giving Asians their national merit awards um, because some people are working harder and or more intelligent or whatever. And they are excelling and equity will not be achieved under such circumstances. So you just start withholding awards. You just start kind of conditioning the, the circumstances. We we see this um, virtually every sector. So yeah. you, you ham fistedly start to massage the the outcomes and then you blame the people who are allegedly privileged for why it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you see, it's the Asian people's fault for wanting to uphold a white supremacist system. Because if you truly became the new man or had the new mentality or new sensibility downloaded into your brain, if you got fully brainwashed into the woke culture mind virus, you would understand that the highest good is, in fact, equity. So you would want to do things like progressively stack your classroom, progressively stack your meeting, bring in, you know, people who are definitely not tokens to be on your boards and so on and so forth. You would want to do that. And if you didn't want to do that, that proves that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. If you're excelling over somebody else, you need to be using your talents to help lift them up, especially if that's something that, you know, is a matter of birth, whether that's talent, whether that's race, whether that's sex. Or whatever. I, apparently, they're trying to stick uteruses now in trans women to find out if that'll work. That's some Frankenstein level shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to have Meet something Legos. like birth equity. Yes. Which is funny because Peter and I wrote a fake paper that we never did anything with because we didn't know how to get into a medical journal because they actually check your credentials for real about birth equity. And it was not about giving uteruses to trans women, it was about aborting white babies. Um, and then it turns out they, they, published something similar not long afterwards. So it was moot. Pointless to try to write fake papers these days. They, they're faster than we are yeah. at coming up with things that are genuinely, truly horrific. Um, but we're seeing the ham-fisted attempts. We're seeing the attempt to just override reality. And of course, the claim will be that the technology wasn't good enough, that capitalism co-opted it, that white supremacy reasserted itself, or whatever stupid horseshit they always say. And then that's why it didn't work. It wasn't because they are literally trying to do something impossible and farcical. But 
the, so I know you're you're drawing out some some you know, discussion, but the answers to the questions are none of the shit they're proposing works. It will never work. It cannot be made to work. No amount of commitment to it will make it work. Yeah. Even universal full commitment to it won't make it work. And so that becomes a uh, sticking point for their their program. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess, that aspect is social justice, social equity, consummation of uh, one another in the same way as socialism consummates into uh, communism, which Marx, I gave the definition in the debate, it defines as uh, the positive transcendence of private property as human self-estrangement. He also says that it is the riddle of history solved and knows itself to be the solution in the same paragraph. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds wonderful. I did a whole podcast on it. It's a thing. So, <clears throat> you know that movie Idiocracy? Yeah, uh, I saw uh, it. Judge. What, what it seems like is going to take place is an official bureaucracy that's a, a mediocracy. And then like a dark market or a black market of meritocracy, like, like a shadow government, either controlling it or just existing in parallel with that, because you can't just dumb everybody down. Some people are going to be more intelligent. And if they are not rewarded by the system, they're going to work in the system's shadows in one way or another, right? All you can't yeah, just I mean, disappear all those super smart Asians in, in Virginia. You can't just disappear them, right? You can, you can. <laughs> well, you can, you can also okay. lock them out via social credit. You can force yeah. them to be productive only to work for the thing in this case equity or whatever else you can create incentives so that the most lucrative jobs are things like esg officer seven figure job uh, yeah. to come be a commissar for the program um, so you can do a number of things to either attract that talent or to channel that talent but if you look i mean right now what do you see harvard somebody just sent me this earlier today what's harvard doing right now they just there was just a thing that went on over twitter we know about how they are promoting in education things that lower mathematics and for example standards across education k through 12 but at the same time they're raising their own mathematics standards why because they want to make sure only the elites stay elite they want a bunch of dumb kids and then the ones that are farmed out of their specific programs are going to come up and run and rule the world. That's always how this works. The goal is to – socialism takes us, whether it's under the brand name socialism or, or Marxism or equity, always takes us backwards into a feudal aristocracy yeah. from a yeah. market. It always takes us back into an aristocracy first, but the communists who are grifters are the ones who put themselves in the position of the aristocrats. And so they always create incentive structures to funnel the elites of society into the party. Yeah. Uh, this is how it works in China. Like it, it, if you want a model of how it works, look at what happened in the history of, so of the Soviet Union. Look at how it worked in China, these being two longstanding communist regimes that um, – to the degree that such a thing is a thing to say are are much less dysfunctional than most of the other ones that were attempted. Like Cuba's a shit show. Um, the Eastern Bloc was a shit show. Uh, but China has been stably communist since 1949. And the Soviet Union was stably communist for 69 years, which I hear on the Internet is nice. What do you mean nice? 69. Nice. Okay. Catch up on your memes, Benjamin. Oh, I yeah, I don't know. Like like that town in that's Italy. That's adult is called humor. Nice, nice. No, that's a town in France. They okay, probably France. do have sixty nine there, though. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They probably say it like 
60 new for something like that, though. No one knows how to say it in French. You know, there's a phrase in the, uh, I think it's from this uh, kind of neo-reactionary blogger spandrel that the, the ratchet always goes left until power is achieved and then it stops going left and you end up in a feudal society. It, the leftward swing of these institutions and by left, I believe it's some form of equalization equity, fairness, egality, liberty, etc. It goes left, left, left until the power is, until the institution's taken over, and then it reverts. It goes no no more left. It goes as left as power wants it to go. Once power's that's in a, power. That's a question that ultimately revolves around what does left mean? Yeah. Uh, I, not to be that guy, but it's true. Because, I mean, if you read Lenin, he's very clear that the program continues and he's already got the complete iron fist. And in fact, he said that the moment that socialism consummates into communism and the state begins to wither away is the moment when the power becomes absolute. So the power is still to implement from the top down very viciously left wing proposals for, you know, it's more redistribution, more forced labor, et cetera. But I, I think it's better to understand that what's happening is that the trajectory of history flows like a boomerang under this, under Marxism. It's that you make it out to a market and then, it, or maybe you don't get all the way there, like in the Soviet Union, because it's agrarian when the revolution happens. And then it starts to boomerang back into an aristocracy. It's a goal is to make a new aristocracy out of the people that are in the Communist Party. It's to gather and concentrate their power at the center of society, then flip the pyramid of society over, if you will, let everything fall down, and the only thing that stays up is them. And so it's to make rubble out of everything else. And then the, if you want to call it right wing at that point, you can, because once, it, once it, they gain power, being totalitarians, their whole game – their whole game is just to maintain power. Well, now, and, this is what Freire and strain out wrong. who is underneath them by giving them a choice. You're either with the program or you're out. Right, but this is also what um, Trotsky was against. This Ferrari was against. This Marcuse was against. This they were saying. That, I mean, these these theorists through the 20th century were saying that no, this is not a good way. What you need is perpetual revolution. Trotsky advocated for perpetual revolution. Ferrari called it utopianism. Is to agitate for perpetual revolution, specifically citing the failures of Stalin, specifically citing the, the, the ch probability that these governments will seize power after a revolution and become, in his words, sclerotic, yeah. necrophiliac, yes. um, bureaucratic, and in, in his words, necessarily right-wing, imposing their vision upon people. Yeah. And so when that happens, their game is to keep power, but, but the woke vision is that doesn't happen. It does and doesn't. It's kind of both at the same time because people are people and they want to get power and keep it and impose their vision of the world. But at the same time, their thing is you better get ready for the next revolution. Let me give you an example that's happening in education. I'm about to – I've been meaning for days to record a podcast. It's going to be super long, so I haven't figured out what time of day I want to sit down and try to do it. I'm trying to get exercise every day, and it turns out that dedicating the 90 minutes a day of exercising every day, which is a solid block of time – makes life difficult to schedule, but uh, also because you're virtually uh, always tired afterwards, which makes sure. things after exercise much harder. I worked out for an hour, by the way, before I jumped on here. Oh, yeah. Um, you get that little sheen going on. Yeah, I'm freaking hot. Like I was out and it's like 40 degrees or 35 degrees or something. I was outside doing shit. Um, but anyway, 
education. What the hell was I saying? Eternal revolution. Eternal revolution. Yeah, of course. Well, you've got to have an eternal revolution. What they? Well, oh, the example. So social emotional learning emerges in, and I don't want to get into the weeds of this, but it emerges in 1994. It means a bunch of things. Like it literally got brand named it in, in 1994. Castle as an organization to promote it emerges out of the same kind of conference in 94, 95. This whole thing's off to the races. And so I just want to timestamp here, right? So just about 28, 29 years ago. Then what happens is it's this diffuse thing. There's all kinds of brand names for it. But then in 2015, so we can just kind of like skip over a whole bunch of stuff. There's a lot of like kind of development in the theory of what's going on. But in 2015, they start, they get their first policy in place, which is called the Every Student Succeeds Act that allows it to be mainlined into the American <laughs> school systems. Okay. Um, kind of piggybacks off a of common core and the reporting mechanisms competency reporting that all the teachers and students have to do in the testing and so on. And now they have to do this uh, non-academic competency reporting and SEL goes and markets itself as the solution to this new problem the government created for you, even though they're the ones who lobbied for it. Uh, And very, very quickly, you see a bunch of different models of social emotional learning come down, come out. So this is 2015 now. Now we're only seven or eight years ago, depending on what time in the calendar. Very quickly, it starts going to a civic participatory model, and then it starts going into this thing. In 2019, we have transformative SEL emerges and kind of starts to supplant all of the other forms. All the different uh, implementation methods get supplanted by this thing called systemic SEL, which is kind of an independent. Is this all the same thing, or are there actual innovations happening inside of it? It's more like a specific distillation in a particular direction. But this year, or sorry, in 2019, transformative SEL. So this is a perpetual revolution. In, in 2019, transformative SEL emerges out of Castle. It's collaborative for academic social emotional learning. Takes over basically all the SEL. People are just now, four years later, still three and a half years later, just now catching up to transformative. But in 2020, a document was sent to the Department of Education under by uh, under the at the White House, cajoling them to start thinking in the direction of something called culturally affirming social emotional learning. The Biden Department of Education, after Biden takes office at the beginning of 21, goes all in on this. If you go to the Department of Education website, you see culturally affirming, just search, just go to the DOE website and search culturally affirming social emotional learning. You'll see that they have tons of research articles and uh, you know documents and such on their just public facing website where they're exploring this. So we have at the ripe old age of three years old, transformative social emotional learning is being billed as a good first step. And we're already seeing the the next step. Now, I think it's not a coincidence that they called it uh, culturally affirming social emotional learning because the acronym becomes CASEL, which is the same as Castle, which they're trying to depose. So they're going to come in from underneath. You're the fake Castle. You're the bad Castle. You're white supremacy with a hug. We're the good Castle. Same name, new brand, white supremacy with a hug. We yeah. take you over from the inside. Yeah. And this is the nature. So what's more dangerous with but the woke just is b- b- brief interjection or question. Like what yeah. direction? He said it's going in a specific direction. Like what is the more direction? radical? More radical. Okay, what more does that power. mean? Like more. I mean, like they, literally, they're no longer making SEL recommendations for schools. It's SEL demands. Okay. The demand list, in their own words, is derived from the Black Panther Party explicitly list of demands. Uh, I mean, it says that in like large 
you know, childish bubble font or whatever on the document. And so uh, in effect, this is redistribution of the resources of schools towards certain groups of people. Towards not just certain groups, but also toward the, if you read, the, and I will make a podcast about this eventually, the document, toward the explicit abolition of capitalism, which sounds an awful lot like old school communism. Oh. So it's almost like the thing is reverting to form uh, over time and that these uh, identity policies, these cultural um, and social capital forms are actually way less relevant to the people that are pushing these things. Well, than they, they want money the at the end of the day. They, they, they want a they want a grift. They yeah. want to win their grift. And okay. if you have to go at it through a cultural angle, they're going to grift through a cultural angle. If you have to get a communist who happens to be black, who goes up there and acts like they're pissed off about everything racist in the country, and that's the way that they can pull the lever to lift up, you know, to, to you know, as Marcuse finds it, or says it, to find the Archimedean point and move the entire world, that's what they're going to do. Okay. Um, so... Uh, but this perpetual revolution and woke is different. You are unlikely to see a um, kind of Lenin or Stalin character unless one fills the vacuum. You're more likely to see kind of the shambling, rolling disaster of South Africa for a long – which is very woke – for a long time until probably it morphs into something that looks a lot more like China, which is more stable because of – uh, she's ability to to consolidate power, but wasn't that way until she started consolidating power. Uh, the if if things stay woke and don't revert to form, you end up with perpetual revolution. Now, my guess is that the elites are not going to put up with that for one friggin' minute, and they will have zero revolutions at their level, and they're going to make sure that there's constant turmoil and revolution on every tier below the top tier that they get to occupy. Yeah, you're talking about the American elites. I am talking about the Western. You can't even say the word the global elites that are meeting in Davos right now. Oh, are they? Five thousand Swiss guards with machine guns protecting them. Hmm. Those guys they're are... so they're so beneficent. They're so people love them so much that they had to bring out the freaking Swiss army to protect them or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, five thousand armed guards to protect the Davos meeting this year. Okay, so um, I want to flip over the this house resolves that woke has gone too far. So what you have explained in brief and at length on new discourses, your website and your YouTube new discourses, yeah, nudist courses is the inner workings. It can't go too far. It's designed not to go too far. And we can talk and we have talked about how that doesn't really make sense or what that actually ends up resulting in. But if the Oxford, what, union are they? The Oxford union resolves that woke has gone too far. That's like some like effete little senators, sons in Rome saying the barbarian, we resolve that the barbarians have gone too far. Like we resolve that the barbarians should leave the gates. Yeah. Right. So, it, yeah. so if we can reverse engineer the counter argument or the liberal point of view, or whatever point of view you want to take that is robust enough to uh, sustain itself through a woke revolution, what would that be? What, what are the axioms that we have to agree on to establish a counter-revolution, if that is the proper term? Honestly, I would tell you that the three... This isn't the first time in history things like this have happened. They've happened repeatedly. And I think the first real stake in the ground in Western civilization that refuted 
um, that which goes in this direction was Aristotle with his kind of three key laws, the law of identity, the law of the excluded middle, and the law of non-contradiction. If we adhere to those, you escape a lot of the word magic, you escape a lot of um, the BS, and you can start to tether back to reality, or as our friend Wokel would talk about, to logos, to the comprehension of reality. And I know him being Christian, and lots of Christians are going to listen, they don't like when you call logos the idea that reality is ordered and comprehensible, uh, because it's identified in the Gospel of John with Jesus literally, and they get some of them get like super pissed off if you don't do that. Like, okay, we see you, but... Um, in a very universal sense, and I think that's what, what what our friend Wokel speaks to, the idea that we ground ourselves against the Logos and build from there, uh, and then we say, well, how do you do that? And Aristotle laid it down. Uh, Aquinas reiterated it, not to get too Thomist about anything, but that we do need to accept the law of identity. A does equal A. Um, there's not a lot of haggling. I mean, what Hegel's game was was primarily haggling over what A means. Uh, not totally, but one of those big issues was, you know, basically categorization is arbitrary and distracting and leads us away from understanding things. You know, if there's two different apples, they're both apples. So that's so mysterious. It's like the biggest, like, bong water experiment in philosophical <laughs> history. Um <laughs> Well, if an apple and an orange are different, but they're both fruit, they're both kind of the same. Categorization is stupid. Uh, so we do need, though, to go into the law of identity, and then we need to go into uh, the law of non-contradiction. That can't be what it's not. The law of the excluded middle, there's not some – I understand in quantum mechanics that this may not work. We have superposition and so on, and maybe we're not locally real or whatever the hell they're figuring out these days. But the fact of the matter is, at the level of that which we actually deal with in reality on a day-to-day -day basis, there is no middle position between true and false. There's no uh, gray area. There's just an in, uh, insufficiently clarified question or proposition that, that needs uh, to be whittled down a little bit better. And I think these are absolutely crucial. I think it's crucial that we admit that comprehension and clarity are results of understanding distinctions in the world, the distinction between male and female, right and wrong, God and man being the, the chief one. There are things that it is not appropriate for mankind to do to mankind because we don't have the authority to do that. One of those, you start thinking of like robot dogs running through Boston or something like that or D.C., but, or, you know, some Matrix bullshit. But I'm actually just thinking about claiming political authority over another human being. Their constitution and declaration of independence boiled down to the idea that not one of us has the legitimate authority to play God mm -hmm. over any other one of us. Mm -hmm. And libertarians all shoot their guns in the air at this moment. Yeah. Because nobody but, can stop them because it's a non-aggression principle. Well, yeah, okay. So with regard to authority, if, uh, if the left or the woke left and the people atop it uh, playing all the strings are all about consolidating authority, and I've asked this question several times to you before, how can a non-authoritarian uh, push uh, survive a complete authoritarian push? I mean, it's happened in the past, so probably in similar fashion, which is that you delegitimize their pretense to power. Um, if we truly believe in the idea that individuals should be the seat of sovereignty at the end of the day, and that we must recognize that none of us has the authority to play God with any other um, in the wide variety of what that means, then we start to 
do exactly what we're doing, which is to make fun of, to expose, to illustrate the failures of this pretense to be able to do something that they cannot actually do or to claim an authority that they cannot actually claim. Um, in other words, as they used to say, be ungovernable. Uh, when they tell you to do these things, you don't do them or you do them you know, over the top sardonically or something like that. It's not to say you should do stupid things. But for example, I search my name occasionally, like once or twice a day now, just to see what they're saying about me ever since this drag Floyd thing started. And um, Wait, you started that? I did start drag Floyd. Yeah, that was my that was my brainchild. Well, well, okay. Can you explain it to the people who are in the well, Let me tell a story and then we'll do drag Floyd. Okay. But anyway, I searched my name today and I found out that I was named Creep of the Week by some <laughs> gay New Jersey or something website. And so what's my name on Twitter right now? Creep of the Week. What did I do? I took a screenshot of the cover of the article with a picture of me talking, looking really good, as a matter of fact. And I put it on an Instagram story. And I was like, damn, I look good. Put it on Twitter. Like, holy shit, look how awesome I am. You know, creep of the week. So you can lean into things sardonically. But they, they are mad about George Floyd. And we should talk about George Floyd because George Floyd, I really do think, is in like the top handful of important things that people need to be aware of. Um, and man, they got mad. So I thought of the idea of drag Floyd. I'll actually tell you the whole story. I was at an event in Phoenix in early December and we were kind of back, it was at a church and we were back in like the back room where the pastors hang out and doing pastor stuff like one does, which means drinking like cactus cooler because you're in Arizona and chilling and hanging out and eating beef sticks and whatever other thing. And we're just laughing and carrying on. And I was like, you know, they want the drag queen equivalent of George Floyd so they can go off on it. It's like drag Floyd or something. I just said it. And we all kind of laughed and like, that's a really good meme. And it kind of carried on. And then I started making a point of saying it where I could on Twitter, you know, on podcasts or whatever. So it's basically a martyr that legitimizes the T want, and the Q and the drag. Well, and the so this is what happened. Then I go to Turning Point USA, uh, America Fest, which had like some 11,000 people at it. And I'm oh. on the Timcast live broadcast with Steve Bannon, Charlie Kirk. And, Fun. you know, Luke and, and Ian and Tim, we're having a good time. <laughs> and so I'm sitting next to Steve Bannon and I'm like, listen, this is we got somehow talking about the drag queen thing. And I was like, listen, this is unconventional warfare. And Steve's immediately like, yes. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. And so because I really wanted him, I actually I forgot I'd wanted him to hear the concept that we're in a color revolution and we should call it the rainbow revolution because I just kind of can picture what Steve would do with that. Now that I kind of know Steve, and um, it would have been awesome, but I forgot to say it. But I, Drag Floyd happened because I said this is a means. It's an escalating provocation. There, there, it starts out as drag queens just in like relatively conservative, over-the-top clown woman. And then it expands to the dancing, and then it's just dancing, but then it's grinding, and then it's sec, you know simulated sex acts, and it's tucking money in the thing, then it's, you know, naked, fake prosthetic boobs, and it just escalates. And now you got Antifa out there holding guns to protect the drag queen. It's an escalating provocation of mid-level violence that yeah. seeks either for you to cave in and let them engage in the grooming that they tell you in their own papers the drag queen story hour exists for or somebody finally splits up and reacts and they capitalize on the reaction i mean beautiful trouble which is one of their activist handbooks everybody should read beautiful trouble has a chapter it's a core principle of beautiful trouble which is the update of olinsky's rules for radicals that the reaction is the action 
your opponent's reaction is your action. That's their mentality. And so I said on stage that they're looking for this provocation to finally boil over. There's no particular drag queen going to a thing in front of kids who wants to get shot. That's not what I've argued, but that's, of course, what the left said that I argued. That's not what's happening. They want so the heat to go up and up and up so that if an event happens, they can yeah. tuck it into a narrative arc they've already laid. Stochastic terrorism, rising yes. anti-LGBT yes. hate, yep. blah, blah, blah. They're going to tuck it into that narrative. And then all these people, I put this on there, and people are like um, – well, they're just going to fabricate one anyway. It's not the, I mean, we should not give them drag Floyd, but we can't stop them if they're, they did a false flag. They, whatever happened. The point is that the narrative must not link. And so calling it drag Floyd is funny to think of it as okay. an operation so that we don't end up okay. in another summer 2020 yeah. moment on the back of this with massive power grabs. You see them pointing the guns at char- characters on Twitter like Libs of TikTok, probably you to some degree, definitely me, Matt Walsh. Uh, we could go on and on with the list. Marjorie Taylor Greene is in the is in the crosshairs. Just saw her the other day. That was fun. Um, and then they're also pointing the guns massively at Elon Musk for letting us on Twitter. And so what they want is to they will use it to try to regain more control over social media behavior now that they've lost at least some of okay. that. And uh, I think that this is a desperate operation for them. I think they prove it repeatedly. But Media Matters was so pissed off that I said this, and I think this goes into the proof category, that they had an article out about it before we got off the stage. Oh, which is amazing. Amazing. I was thrilled. Because huh. so, you're calling them. You're, you're calling their playbook kind of thing. I called their playbook. And I. Okay. it's like you read the articles that they write about it. And they try to make me look like they're calling me. Literally, this is why I've now been branded a conspiracy theorist. But plus, I talked about cultural Marxism. Um, and so this is my conspiracy theory. And... Then they try to project it onto me and say that I want the violence, even though literally every time I say it, I say, don't give them drag Floyd. Do not be violent. Do not give it to them. You know, hold back. What I tell people is if you want to protect kids from drag queen story hour, protect your kids. Don't take them. Do not go there. Do not go check it out. Talk to your neighbors. Try to get them to keep your kids home. Plan something in your neighborhood that's just a normal kid event that has nothing to do with anything. Don't even mention the fact just that it happens to be at the same time so people are busy. These kinds of things. Don't go. Don't show – I get the impulse to save other people's kids. The only people who are bringing these kids to these things are a disaster anyway. And it is not the time to – I would love to save their kids from them. It's not the time. It's not the place. Because you now have – like I said, you have – a narrative arc that, oh, they keep getting more and more violent. Bends towards in, justice. The one in Vancouver or just outside of Vancouver in, in BC um, today or yesterday or whatever it was. It's all over how violent it was, how there are people with guns or, you know, whatever it was. There's Antifa there. There's clashing. I think there are people at guns with the one in Texas or something. I don't know. There's probably no guns in BC. But um, these things, like this is this is deliberate and escalating provocation. It's tipping more and more and more toward shows of force, like carrying guns, showing up in black block, uh, you know, proud boys or who are, I don't even know if that's real, fucking showing up and like trying to be intimidating or whatever. If you want to go to the thing and do something useful, go lay low, film it, put it on the internet later. That's useful. Go be intimidating. Not that useful. Go run your mouth like a fucking redneck. Not that useful. That only works in their direction. It only they, the, only they so can do that or yeah. That. 
Yeah, they, they but have, they can do that, they, but they, they have we can't do that. Of practice. Yeah. yeah, they train to make you look like an asshole. Yeah, don't do it. Don't yeah. give it to them. Yeah, J six. Um. So okay. So we know that the Marxist cultural Marxist. We've discussed how it doesn't really make sense in reality, but it does know human nature and it exploits humans desire for status. Okay. And the, the counter that you say, be ungovernable, don't uh, you know, kind of back away from authority, assume that human beings can exist in a authoritarian vacuum, like where there is no authority that is also denying humans need for status. We all need status. We need to be in a hierarchy. So I, I just, I don't see how you can defeat uh, hyper hierarchism with nil hierarchy with with no well, status this is the thing is I, i'm very concerned this is this, i hate to sound like a woke but this is like a matter of temporalities in the present circumstance we are under an authoritarian moment and if you reply with an authoritarian moment a strongly hierarchical structure my suspicion is that it will rapidly get co-opted or just like with the antifa thing will turn back around against you they will they will document what you're doing christian nationalists and make you look like giant assholes and use it as a giant dragnet to turn it into the deplorables 2.0 who aren't allowed to have political opinions um yeah it's not the moment for that. It's not to say that we won't need hierarchy and structure and status climbing and the whole friggin' thing next time. What we need to do right now is not submit to authoritarianism until we can start to put in place. What ultimately is being exploited is that in the financial industry and in the tech industry, there are massive workarounds possible or through those two industries, not necessarily in them. There are workarounds possible to, to the securing of individual liberties at the level of nations. We also have our nations trying to co collaborate is the fancy word through entities like the United Nations. Until we break free of this particular moment, we must be very cautious in how we approach. I'm not saying that we should be ungovernable forever. I mean, some people should be, but okay. we, we do need to build, but we don't need to build something that we're, it's like, we don't want to just build like the big weapon or whatever, just to hand it over to them and let them shoot us with it. If yeah. that makes any sense. If we were yeah. in the war, we don't design a cannon and just leave it out in the yard where they're going to take it away from us and use it against us. This is why they sunk the Bismarck when it was disabled by allied forces uh, it was at World War II, I guess. Um, it was disabled, and they sunk it from within. They dynamited the inside of the ship so it would sink, so that the greatest battleship the world had ever seen couldn't be captured and used against them, which it would have been. Mm -hmm. So they sunk their own ship. Um, we don't want to be in the kind of opposite situation. I'm not going to say that we couldn't build a, a thing and use it against them and it'd be very successful, but I'm very wary about the idea, as you've heard, to use the metaphor yet again, sorry, the illusion, here we go. You can't take the ring to Minas Tirith. We have to destroy the one ring before we can start talking. And what happened in the book? Aragorn becomes the king. He marries the hot elf. They make babies and stuff. Everybody's fucking happy because they start to build a hierarchical structure that works absent the tyrannical destroying force okay putting the pressure that they okay. overthrew first okay the the there's also a, the resource uh which is akin to status of ambition especially young men uh the ambition the force of young men and the ambition uh, that drives them is a resource that we any any movement would do uh ill to ignore um the woke harnesses it by creating a bunch of male feminists and or castrating a bunch of the men and literally and uh, actually uh, ideologically too 
Um, but you know, you can gain status by being woke. You can't go to a non-woke college. There's no, there's no status structure for the young men. And so they're going to gravitate towards, there's got to be an alternative place for young men to exercise their ambition. If you don't give them that because you fear what would come of that, you're, you're leaving that off the table. You're not going to galvanize that base. I agree. I agree. And and young men have huge opportunities right now to start setting cultural trends that will point us, I think, in the right direction. Um, Hmm. There's this kind of like very toxic, cycly, you know, simpy only fans, fake hookup culture or whatever thing. It is incumbent upon young men to start wanting to build families, to build businesses, to build uh, organizations, to build uh, structure around themselves and and to to take leadership in that way. Uh, I encourage young people and people more broadly. It's, you know, it's what people consider to be outside of my wheelhouse, but I consider I, I tell people all the time to read in the Bible, the parable of the talents and understand, start building, start investing, not just investing like money, which I don't even care that much if you do that, you probably should, but start investing in your life, start developing skills, put the fucking video game down, get some real skills, start learning to do something productive and valuable that you can bring to the table, start investing in another human being, get in a real relationship, stop fucking around. These kinds of things are very serious avenues of leadership that will create their own kind of gravity and start to build that hierarchical structure that will supplant the, uh, the, the doomsday machine. But those things I believe need to develop organically if they're, if they're engineered or if they're meant to kind of copycat the, the one ring tyrannical power structure, then they're going to be co-opted or they're going to turn into something perverse. Um, I'm, utterly convinced that what we need is to allow, as Peterson might indicate, the hierarchy needs to grow organically around the idea of value production and competence. Uh, And young men are in an opportunity right now because they're overlooked, like the hobbits in the story, uh, to be able to start actually doing that, to start taking, you know, in in the, again, parable of the talents, in the small ways allotted to them at the moment, to start taking leadership roles and responsibility. I'm going to work toward building up my body. I'm going to work toward building up my mind. I'm going to work toward building up a relationship with somebody in a stable, healthy way. That's one small thing. One small, stable step. I'm going to start working on, you know, developing a business that's going to do something productive that needs to be done. Everything doesn't – we're all like – we've all played – we all grew up on the freaking – I said the video games. We all grew up on the, you know, GoldenEye or whatever, and we're all thinking – or Call of Duty, and we're all thinking about the one-shot headshot, you know, sniper rifle, and we're like you're going to take out the WEF. But in reality, what's going to – undo that or what's going to matter most is having built up small things around you and then as you've done well with those letting those expand in the natural organic ways that they tend to and then to continue that and continue that and to continue that and if you get a million young men out there who decide they want stability that they want to invest they want to they want to return the reward or get the get the rewards the return and investment of a stable structure in homes and a stable structure in career and a stable structure in building community a stable structure in a relationship that trends toward marriage, et cetera, you're going to change the world from the grassroots in a real grassroots way. If you try to cook up some bullshit and force it, it's just not going to satisfy that. So 
And this is, I think, what people are starving for and have been starving for for 30, 40 years. We've talked about – and I think we talked about it like multiple times with different people about the crisis of authenticity. Well, this is authentic. This is authentic responsibility growing. This is an authentic structure. Um it's not some LARPy thing. It's not some, you know. Well, I mean, it'll it'll grind the LARP off of you if you really embrace it. You're gonna yeah, get we'll grind the LARP. This thing. <laughs> you can LARP for so long, and it gets pretty tiring. So, I mean, those are the kinds of pieces. I, there, there's real advice for real people on the ground. Like the question that that we're we're tossing around here is really a hard question. It's like, how do you defeat the greatest attempt on tyranny in world history? That's and I'm like, who the fuck knows? Like, if we knew, those guys would all be in the ocean. Like Davos wouldn't be there if we knew like there wouldn't have been a meeting this year if we had the if we if we if we had the roadmap, it, the last year's would have been the last one. And that would have been that this well, year you know might what? be the last one. I don't know. We'll see what happens with I, I think one marker of change will be just how hard Pride Month is going to be jammed down our throats. I think that they've kind pride of hyper. Months. Yeah, Pride Months. Yeah. Pride season. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be at least June and July. Certainly. Yeah. Um, well, it, they once they really once that ran. once that starts, because I think they they overplayed their hand, but who knows? Maybe they they have June. no idea how to not they overplay their full hand. blast June one last year, and everybody was like, "What in the world?" <laughs> they started. They were actually like uh, clamoring out the gate like a few days before that. People were like, "Well, we we got to be the first. We got to be the first. And then monkeypox yeah. hit like halfway through. <laughs> Do not allowed to say what the M in monkeypox stands for. Uh, I don't. Uh, is this another nice joke? No. Okay. That was a real like push that they had was we're going to call it Mpox and you can't ask what the M stands for. Oh, yeah. Because of uh, cultural issues. It's somehow racist. Yeah. Somehow. Um, somehow. Okay. So what you just explained as the counter is the same exact thing that the so-called dissident right neo-reactionary movement is, is clamoring for. This is they, You have the same value sets as the neo-reactionaries. No, I don't. That's false. Okay, so I because want to understand... They're post-liberal. They do okay. not value individual freedom or liberty. They do not value that. They are, in fact, opposed to that. We do not have the same value structure. They're okay. collectivists. So we are not the same. We okay, are, so they, what, could you could you are a could you of the real deal? Okay, so what what are the axioms? Can you can you do a proof on the axioms so far as you see it of the neo reactionary movement and why you disagree with them or what what they are? Are you for them? And then and then show how they are collectivists and how what you're saying isn't collectivist in some sense. Well, what they think sense. is that we need to dedicate the government of the country toward establishing a common culture for a common good on top of the thing. And that's that's the, the context in which we're going to build. So we're going to we're not talking about like a common American identity either. They're very frequently depending, but very frequently, you know, it's going to be this range of churches. It's going to be rooted in these interpretations of scripture or religion or whatever. But maybe the neo reactions a little wider. But when we look at like the Catholic integralists or we look at the Christian nationalist evangelical copycat movement that's rooted to what they're at. Those people are actually if you bother to read Hegel's philosophy of right, which I don't wish upon any. Anybody. Um, although I did get a hilarious meme sent to me today where it's like the, you know, 
chick is busting into the room and there's a guy with his computer acting all weird and the, the chick is like are you reading Hegel he's like no no I swear I was just watching porn and it's <laughs> <laughs> so funny thank you Jessica um, so that was I cracked up but uh, what if you read Hegel's philosophy of right that's the society they want to build they want there to be a monarchical episcopate. They want there to be a kingship that's imbued with some kind of episcopal type powers, not or episcopal, not episcopalian, uh, church powers to enforce a morality upon society. And this is outside of the bounds of what I say is the fundamental premise or axiom of Americanism, which is what I support, which is you're not God, so you don't have the authority to do that to me. Okay. You don't have the authority to tell me how to live my life or worship or think or believe or speak. And if you try to claim that and try to get me to bend the knee, I'm going to bend your knee fucking backwards. And okay. I'll bend as many knees backwards as I have to until you either kill me or I stop. Well, if that is the reigning, if that is what unites America, then again, you're just going to have a fractured society that's right, that, that creates a power well, vacuum. Bullshit. We all used to like know that this was an American – this is total bullshit, Benjamin. We used to get around the idea that, no, fuck, we're America. This is where it's different. This is where this is what we do. Yeah, you want to be Sikh and American? Yeah, put on your freaking turban with American flag colors and let's have hot dogs or whatever the hell. Let's go out in the street. You can't eat that? All right, great. Well, you get your food. I got my food. Let's go have a party. That was what this place was about. I had a video where I went to New York City kind of for the first – it wasn't the very first time, but I kind of like explored Manhattan for the first time back in 2019. And I talked on this video, this famous rooftop video. Everybody's seen it with Michael Fallon and Pete Bogosian. And yeah. so I'm talking about how like I'm just so impressed about the – insane levels of diversity and difference and new yorkers are not famous for freaking being friendly people to one another and yet the whole thing has this like magic of new york like it this just is before works. the pandemic wouldn't it this is before the pandemic it just works they know at the end of the day it's like fuck you no fuck you no fuck us all we're new yorkers <laughs> and everybody there there is there was this almost transcendent sense of american Oh, yeah. yeah, that New Yorker, that city folk versus Texas, New York City, get a rope. Like we had these kind of like jokes across regions and jokes across culture and but whatever. But no, at the end of the day, dude, we're American and it means something. What it means is that yeah. we're not going to do what other people are going to do. We're not going to prohibit you from being you in a legitimate way. And this is what the, the reaction wants to do. They, are, they say incorrectly that liberalism means – that there's no limits on you do you. That's not true. That's actually not true. Well, how do those you, limits they come about? There's no limit on grooming children. No. I mean, even the even the libertarians who rarely have their shit together know that violates the NAP. The non-aggression principle. Okay. You brainwashing, Sorry. exhorting, or coercing a child violates from a nap very to nap. principle that you're you're exhibiting authority over them that you don't have any license to 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 do. This isn't this isn't rocket science. We don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We need to remove from power people who are abusing their power. We need to use some authority to do that. But that's authority literally vested okay. in us in the United States by the Declaration counter, of Independence. Counter which is based argument. Off the liberal ideal. 
Counter-argument, perhaps uh, the uh, progressivism has shaped society to such an extent that we need to go back to basics, where we need to actually restate the axiomatic principles that allowed for a diverse group of people to act together in unison, to have some sort of common good, right? Because so pessimistic. Because, I, I just can't buy it. Well, I, I just, just can't I buy it. If, when you're if, drinking poison, you don't get better by drinking something else. You get better by stopping drinking the poison. But the, we delegitimize this woke crap. We delegitimize the progressive impulse. We make it clear what it is, how it works, and get it down to a distilled level, and we reassert what it fundamentally means to be an American. I'm talking Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights, the argument between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, the tension between federalism and anti-federalism that necessarily defines this nation, and this kind of common, you know, no, we're Americans, and that means we get to be ourselves, but at the same time recognize that we're American. We get this kind of stuff going back and we stop chugging the progressive poison, which is I think the key thing, which means that we have to roll back a lot legally to get rid of the incentive structures for what you know yeah. Caldwell calls the, the age of entitlement. Um, but we do this, we stop taking the snake oil of, of progressivism that we have these diseases and have to take this particular medicine. And this kind of pressure goes away and the reaction starts to look silly at that instant. And that's one of the reasons that you know it's not necessarily a solution. There's a, absent the provocation, it means nothing. So what you have then is problem. That's woke. You have reaction. That's literally called reaction. But that's the dialectic. This is a part of the dialectic. Problem, reaction, solution. What's it on beautiful trouble? Do we need to pull it up and show people? The reaction is the action. These woke people, these communists, know what they're doing. They need the reactionary element to be the foil. They're coming out saying stupid shit like repeal the 19th. They're not going to win. They don't want to win. They want to LARP, to look manly, probably score, score some like desperate young chicks, have a fun ride, get Peter Thiel to give them a few fucking billion bucks, have a fucking sugar high for three or four years and lose and hand the whole apparatus over to the left. They don't maybe know that that's what they want to do, but that's what they're – the people who are encouraging them and making sure lots of money runs into this want that to happen. That's exactly what's going on with this crap. I just – it. I don't understand the fundamentals of liberalism. It sounds like you're just saying it's common sense, but I'm saying if common sense has I mean, been that was literally so distorted. What Payne called it. <laughs> yeah, so common sense. So literally what he called it. So you, you've laid out like the, the Aristotelian like axioms, which are purely mental uh, – are there moral axioms like what what makes I mean, america allow for diversity selfness and community the, the the tension between you be you and you not harm other people like what well i mean it's uh, there are I mean, assumptions we, there we there's could, explicitly could, western could, christian assumptions that led up to the enlightenment right i mean we could probably get into aristotelian ethics but uh that's a little bit tangential um with the united states in its foundation with the the what we might call classical liberalism now or scottish enlightenment is really a kind of a better way to think of it um or english enlightenment even when we think about that set of principles i go back to the fundamental axioms that you're not god and so what well if you're not god then that means you're limited that's one thing it means, and if you're limited, that means you're prone to make mistakes. If you believe in God, the stakes are really high, possibly, your eternity. Uh, if you don't believe in God, the stakes could still be really high. It could be calamity for your life or other people's lives. And so, okay, so we, we agree that we're not God. We don't have any access to legitimate authority over one another. And how do we preserve that? that that's the next yeah. question. Okay. And the way that we preserve that is we say, well, 
What does it mean to have no authority? Is nobody technically should be allowed, including the state, of course, that's the target of their their construction, to deprive an individual of their life, their liberty, or their property. That's John Locke, which, by the way, the American reformer and these dudes, these reaction guys go after by name. They do not like John Locke. I'm not real happy with John Locke's tabula rasa, which was wrong. We are not blank slates, but his political philosophy here is pretty spot on. So when we're talking, what does it mean to not have your life, liberty, and property? So your life, they can't kill you. That's easy. Your liberty, they can't jail you. And your property, they can't take from you that which you have a legitimate and legal claim to call yours. Um, If you have those three things, why those three things? If you have those three things in place, nobody has the leverage to claim illegitimate authority over you. At the end of the day, they can't starve you. They can't unhouse you as it's now phrased kind of evilly. They can't lock you up and you know, make a condition of your release be that you agree with them or, and imprison you. They can't kill you. They can't forcibly – uh, violate your bodily autonomy. If you consider, as most libertarians do, that the first piece of property you own is your body, whatever metaphysical claims that makes, when you you ensure those three fundamental liberty or those fundamental rights, inalienable rights, as they're called in the Declaration of Independence for people, and you establish a government that's designed to be minimal and to secure them as its primary purpose on behalf of the people that it represents at their pleasure, then what you do is you enable the ability for the individuals whose rights are secured in that regard to think for themselves, to worship as they will, to speak their mind as they feel necessary, to gather and petition the government when it – or it could be other entities uh, for redress of their grievances – what you do is you actually level the playing field in, in a way that no other society in human history has ever done, never, ever hmm. done. And so when we're looking at the kind of fundamental axioms of kind of this American liberalism, what are we talking about? Well, it starts with you're not God, so sit your ass down, humble yourself. You're not right about everything. Nobody has to listen to you. You have to earn your way to being listened to. You have to earn your way into your positions. We know that there's nepotism. We know that there's corruption. We know that there's all these issues around it. But the ideal is that we're not going – that we're going to work to minimize those things. So then competence matters. And in a sense, we're not all in the same starting place because of like financial resources and whatever. But we're all in the same starting place as it's meant, say, uh, in, in the image of God or in the eyes of God. That's the fundamental axiom of liberalism. But what happens when you install some other program is that there are not this, – this fundamental equality is not there. I laugh at and, and appreciate the comment, you know, this famous, you know, guy comes back from war. Was it like to kill somebody? They ask him and he says, I don't know. I've only ever killed communists and I laugh because, yeah, I get it. They're, they are stripped of their humanity. They are dehumanized um, by the ideology that they've taken up with or imbibed or had impressed upon them that it has bamboozled them or whatever because it's a fundamentally dehumanizing ideology. But at the same time, I I can't say that they don't have every right to believe as they will. Um, And I don't actually believe that they've lost their humanity. I believe that they've joined a cult. Uh, So the question – that that the reactionaries want to answer but are failing to answer because they don't have a clear understanding of the issue. 
They have a childish understanding of the issue that often projects directly onto Jews all their woes, which is horseshit, hmm. is and frequently, very frequently, which is total fucking bullshit because it's Gnosticism, not Jewish, that they is the problem, which they think are the same thing if you point it out to them, which they're not. The question is, how do you keep cults out of power? And they don't even know that that's the question to answer. What we have right now is a gigantic cult that has seized power at the highest levels in our society through various you know, stratagems played out over 100 years. The question is, how do we keep cults, whether the cult is called a monarchy, whether the cult is called – which it is. The cult is – that's one by birth. It's a little bit different. But how do you keep a cult? Out of authority, uh, out of authority over society, because once a cult takes authority over society, that's how cults work. Everything else is wrong. Everything has to aggrandize them. Everything comes back to 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 what's it to to, to daddy or whatever at the end of the day. Um, mm. This is how cults work. And the reaction, I'm sorry, they just don't – they fundamentally don't know what's going on, and they have come up with a very bad solution that in my Opinion does not smell of the alpha male that they portray. It smells of desperation and fear. They're afraid to let something be out of their control. They're afraid to let somebody believe something that they don't like because, oh, no, because they haven't wrestled with the real question, which is how do you keep cults, and in particular also psychopaths, in limited positions of authority or out of authority? That's the fundamental question. Uh, well, th- there's a lot near reactionary. Is it's, it's like feminism. It's like this huge yes, swirling like swoop of uh, different uh, points like of view. And stuff like that. Okay. Well, I didn't mean it's, that it's literally with, with toxic estradiol. As feminism is too. Okay, that but, was a mean hormone joke. <sighs> you froze well, on me, so I don't know what no, to do. I don't want no, that air. Help. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. So, well, th- there's Water a lot. There's a lot of different things going on. So you have, you have, you did the QED for the woke stuff. You did the QED for uh, the, the liberalism. I think you've kind of hammered out I don't and, know if and fully QED, uh, well, liberalism, okay. but right. I, th- yeah. I think that that's what it means to be human is that we, we are uh, free. I don't want to say necessarily because it would be disingenuous to my beliefs, but it's a convenient way to phrase it free, but fallen, uh, individuals we're we're imperfect we're limited we're very limited and i think that the human freedom or the, the human spirit craves freedom above other things and i don't mean some kind of fake pretend freedom i mean legitimately not to be put under the illegitimate authority of other people who are assholes i'm not talking about being freedom having freedom from like responsibility we have to t- life is actually not that easy it's amazing that we've come to a place where life can be this comfortable uh, i don't know what these people think life should be like um, like that you know maybe the sky should just rain down uh, you know Babies, ramen noodles and video games and chicks. I don't know what they think should happen. Uh, everybody will be free to hunt in the morning and fish in the afternoon and write criticism in the evening if they want, says Karl Marx. And so, you know, this is pretend. Nobody gets to be free from the, the difficulties of life. Nobody gets to be free. But we, we crave to be free from the illegitimate authority of other individual people who we know that if you could convince them to stop doing it, they would stop doing it and you would have greater freedom. That's what the human spirit craves to be. We crave to be – we are a social a, a social species. We are – we do live in literally collective entities called communities or cities or, or families, nations or whatever that have some sense of that. But at the end of the day, we're also individuals. We're all individuals. 
and we all should what what makes us i agree in a sense in a weird way with kind of what marx and hegel are banging on about it what it may what it means to be human but not exactly because they're weirdos gnostics uh, more specifically what it means to be human is to be able to think for yourself and make decisions about things in yourself and do that do things based on your own volition that uh free will we be, you know often believe we've been gifted or sparked with or whatever the the capacity for rational thought and um, rather than just kind of, you know, the affect and instinctual nature of animals, these kinds of distinctions that they were digging around in, in the 19th century so much. I think that there's something there, that there is something there that makes it a human. But I think that the American experiment nailed it, is that we need to be mostly left alone from illegitimate authority. Uh, and that means we don't have to be left alone by legitimate authority, which means what makes for legitimate authority. Well, for a cult, they... it's that you have cult consciousness, and that's bullshit. And in a uh, free society, yeah. what it means is that you've earned it. You've Did earned that it ever by exist? Doing demonstrable. I mean, freedom from illegitimate authority. I mean, for I, I, and this is the this is the woke point of view. Did it ever exist for other than a very small pocket of people? This this pure American freedom. This I this, think it uh, existed pretty damn widely, and they were really mad about it. You read the theorists through the fifties and sixties. You read Marcuse and Horkheimer, and they're like, "God damn it! Capitalism allowed people to have a good life." Don't they know that we could have a utopia if they weren't happy with their Corvette? And it's like, dude, just let people watch the game. Maybe they like to watch the game. Maybe it's meaningful to them. Leave them the fuck alone. Then hmm. so, no, I think it was working pretty well. It, it wasn't perfect, but I think it was working pretty well. Like we were, we were moving in some good directions Broadly speaking, and now th there are reasonable arguments to make about the influence of consumerism and, that, and the way that, you know, that develops and technology gets involved and it kind of becomes this hybrid propaganda uh, marketing consumerist nightmare. And this is the kind of thing that is dangerous, but it's also the kind of thing that people can can organically learn to spot and adapt or adapt to. You start to see, you know, the commercial, you get the commercial feel to it and you're like, eh, it's a little plasticky. I don't like that. And when we actually do have Liberty, then you can actually do things about that. When you have say two or three corporations though, that are the only ones operating in the industry and they own all the other smaller ones. So it looks like they're not the only thing in, in town. Hmm. You kind of have a problem because your, your choice set is actually vastly more limited than you think it is. And you can't solve those kinds of problems that you thought you wanted to solve. Um, but they say it never existed. I don't think we've ever entered fully into a marketplace of ideas. We've had this discussion. Um, I did a long podcast on it that apparently was very uh, positively um, helpful to a lot of people, which was, you know, the something about the second enlightenment, the dawning of the second enlightenment or something. I said that I think that what happened with what we call the enlightenment was the advent of an aristocracy of ideas. Instead of a marketplace of ideas or, you know, maybe it's more like a mercantile system. I don't know these things in, in great enough detail. But you had gatekeepers to knowledge, editors, because publishing was harder. So you had to have somebody filter out because you can't just publish anything. Now you can publish anything. You, just well, you, you still have to filter it. Yeah, well, you still have to filter it somehow. Well, sort of. But the, the filtering now is I follow who I want to freedom follow. Freedom of speech, follow, not freedom of reach kind of algorithmic. Yeah, correct. Well, their algorithm is its own. Like, let's take that off the table for a second. <laughs> because they're trying. that's just the way the new tech, new high tech way they're trying to reassert the – if we were NRX, we'd call it the cathedral uh, – the, to reassert the aristocracy of ideas. 
the the gatekeepers, the professors, the journalists, the experts, the the politicians. They're the ones who have the legitimate ideas and everybody else, you know, could be in the hoi polloi and make as much noise as they want for no purpose whatsoever. And then all of a sudden the internet started to allow people to do their own research. And then like the intelligence community was like, we better get a handle on that. And now we've learned that they worked at Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can surmise that they work at all the other ones. In fact, they might be the, some of the other ones. Uh, those may be so continuous as to be the same entities in certain cases it's th that rhyme with Facebook. Um, hmm. well, hopefully not YouTube too. Now, by the way, are you? Yeah. What did you say? I put out sure. a meme. You remember Yakov Smirnov from back in the day, the the comedian that did the jokes about Soviet Russia. I don't know. Uh, it was. They're all like. It was like little stupid reversals. Like, um, what would it be? I want to because I don't. Ha I never have a good one. I need to think. I need to get a real one of his. But it's always like little re reversals. It was like they'd be like, and you know, in in capitalist United <laughs> States, you know, water fountain gives you water. In Soviet Russia, fountain waters you, or something like that. It was always, they just flip it around backwards or whatever, right? And so, in Soviet Russia, and so I put in socialist Canada, suicide, suicide hotline calls you on a picture of his face. <laughs> That's a good one. Permanent ban from lifetime <laughs> off of Facebook for that one. They didn't like that in Socialist Canada, the suicide hotline. YouTube doesn't either. You're probably getting in trouble now that I said that. And it's like, no self -harm. It's don't harm yourself. You know, I got Don't kicked off Instagram for a week at one point because I said COVID-19, the onion rings cure and prevent COVID-19, but only when they're really good. Like, no shit. They shut me down for that for like a week, hmm. like seven days, like n onion rings. These people are clowns. Um, hmm. I don't know where we were going with that, but Yakov Smirnoff, Facebook, oh, uh, yeah, oh, the Second Enlightenment. Yeah, they, they've got to get control over it. But if what we're dealing with now, though, is do your own research is deposing a lot of their narratives real fast. People can go look stuff up. People can say, you know, that thing you told us about the thing is not so uh, real and – you know, six months later, they're all on the news saying the thing we told you about the thing. New evidence is showing that that was not that yeah, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whether the thing is the thing and the other thing or whatever. And it, there, there's 30. I mean, we all know which thing I was kind of thinking of. Yeah, yeah. But there were like 50 things in the past three years that that could have actually referred to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and, the story and, you heard about George Floyd. Not real. What killed George Floyd? Open borders by the Democrats. That's what killed George Floyd. How did the fentanyl get in George Floyd? Well, because the... Democrats have got a terrible border policy. We don't even hear that story. Nobody tells that story. The story we hear is that some cop did some shit to him. Uh, I, I'm I'm fine with just saying personal choice killed George Floyd, but even that's probably too far. It's probably well, I mean, I don't want to say structural things, but we live in a structural world right now. So if yep. we're going to talk about people who want to talk about structural everything, if systemic racism could be the cause, why not systemic fentanyl? Uh, by bad border policy that's yeah. championed to this day by Democrats who clearly don't want justice for George Floyd because they won't even do anything about the border. Talk about systemic racism. I bet you it's not hard to figure out what statistics work out and who's actually getting killed proportionally by by the fentanyl crisis coming across the border that the Democrats don't want to close. Who do they really want dead? Where's the real systemic racism in this country? These people are frauds. It's pretty ugly. It's not good that I'm better at their arguments than they are for them. Like we did it, did it at Oxford. <laughs> yeah. Gnosticism, though. I, yeah. I I put the dead in the title. I might need to take it out because we haven't even talked about it, other than it's not Jewish. It's not Jewish. 
So that's all we know so far. I mean, not, for one no. thing, the not, and this is apparently I just saw this last night on Twitter. Uh, some guy's reading Bronze Age mon- mindset and is talking yeah. about the Jewish ha- hatred of matter. Jews don't hate matter. Jews accept matter openly. I just talked to somebody who's an observant Jew about this literally like a week ago without knowing about this this conversation in the book. This isn't a thing in Judaism. They accept matter. They accept what we are. Gnosticism, however, sees us as being truly spirit and trapped in a prison made of matter, and it hates matter. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a Jewish thing. Now, so, were there how lots did of you... Jewish Gnostics? There were. Were there lots of Christian Gnostics? There are. Were. Are yeah. there lots of so-called scientific Gnostics, who we should call scientistic? Yes, of course. And they do the science. In fact, Anthony, Anthony Fauci is one. He is the science. That's a Gnostic saying. That's huh. a Gnostic expression. So what got you, what was the, what was the rabbit hole or the, the bread trail crumb? Yeah. The, the Gnostic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How did you? All right. So like, were you on a plane? Two plus, I was on a plane. Drink. I was on a plane. There was probably drinking on the plane. Two years and change ago, somebody had sent me this document by a guy. I am kind of glad I can call a friend now named Steve Coglin. Um, he writes on a website called Unconstrained Analytics, and it was an analysis of the left uh, from the perspective of Marxism and Hegel before Marx. And he refers to the fact and quotes this guy, Glenn Alexander McGee, a lot that Hegel is not a legitimate philosopher. Uh, he quotes from another guy, Eric Fogelin, a lot, who said that he was a Gnostic. Uh, Glenn McGee says that he is a hermeticist, and I didn't know what that word meant. I knew what Gnostic was, but I didn't know what hermetic was, but I didn't know Gnostic very well. And I kind of, you know, this became this shadow that I just okay. kind of kept seeing in the corner when I'm reading stuff. And eventually I started, I did look up Gnosticism and kind of get a f- reasonable grounding in the basics. I did not look up hermeticism yet. And then I would read especially queer theory texts. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the most Gnostic thing I've ever read. Like the Epistemology of the Closet by Eve Sedgwick. I'm like, I mean, let's look in the title. This is totally a book about Gnosticism. It's a belief that being itself is a prison and that we've been flung into it outside of our decision. We didn't have to be born. We didn't have to be born the way we yeah, are born. You were and, assigned human at birth. But Conception, we can, maybe. But. We can obtain knowledge, hidden knowledge, secret knowledge, hmm. um, revelatory knowledge, uh, divine knowledge of of the true nature of reality, the reality behind the reality, if you will. And by gaining that knowledge, we can set ourselves free, but it also requires what Jordan Peterson said is something like raging at the world for the crime of being. Yeah. And yeah. so I started to piece together, especially that queer theory was profoundly Gnostic. And so finally I was like, this is bullshit. I got to be more responsible about this. I end up getting this book about Gnosticism and Hermeticism by a couple of Dutch scholars, and I read the whole thing, and it's talking about it from antiquity all the way through to modern era. They have a little bit about Hegel in there, a little bit about Marx in there, but they're not really focused on that. They're talking about the Cathars. They're talking about Manichaeism. They're talking about different different Gnostic and Hermetic cults through time. They're laying out what the mythology is. They each have their own creation myths, how they overlap, how they, they differ. They're not the same thing, but they have similar things underneath them. And then I'm like... I also read uh, – I have it right here, actually uh, – Eric Fogland's book, which is – I can't even read what the title is. It's little politics and Gnosticism. Yeah. And Gnosticism, yeah. So he actually says that Marx is an intellectual swindler. Hegel is – and Marx are both Gnostics. 
I see saw the Gnosticism in Marx very quickly once I understood what it was. He's enraged at a uh, creator, an evil creator that that imprisons man in being. That's called the bourgeoisie. Um, it was called the demiurge in original Gnosticism, which is this yeah. evil spirit that acts as the creator. Demiurge is from the Greek demiurgos. Demiurgos means artisan or builder. So it's the builder of the world, the builder of man's body. Okay. And so I saw the Gnosticism and Marxism very quickly, and I realized that the bourgeoisie is, for Marx, the Gnostic deity, the the demiurge, and that the liberated communist utopia um, is escape from that and therefore is what the old Gnostics would consider re uh, folding back in with the original all or the original whole or the, you know, God and then the true God. And I, I saw kind of very clearly how when Marx talks about socialism and he talks about it as like a mindset that transforms your very senses. Your eyes, when you're a socialist man, aren't tr regular eyes. They've advanced. Your ears hear things differently. They've been trained. They've been attuned. Your body becomes a socialist body. All this transformational weird stuff. And I was like, well, that actually makes sense. Socialism means gnosis. Okay, it is the gnosis. It's how the world's supposed to be. It's the glimpse behind the curtain at the divine intellect in Gnosticism. So I understand Marxism as a Gnostic movement very quickly. It all falls into place, and I'm like, son of a bitch, I have got to get into this. So then I read Glenn Alexander McGee's Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition. That's an open and shut case. You want to talk about QED, that book should end in QED. Hegel was a wizard. Hegel was not a philosopher, which is the first sentence of the book. Hegel was not a philosopher. Huh. The last sentence should be Hegel was a fucking wizard and QED. And so Hegel was into you know, we got like the weird new age movement. You got Oprah and you got like, you know, Edgar Casey, and you got all this like weird shit and everybody's kind of into it and hippies and we got to like smudge some sage or whatever, all this crap. There was a gigantic new age movement in the middle ages that started probably with Marcello Ficino or Ficino, however you say his name is Italian at the end of the 1500s. There were a couple of kind of outbursts of kind of fraudulent Kabbalah that erupted in Spain and uh, in Germany. Okay. Um, Kind of along the way, uh, the neo reaction hasn't. When was the Black missed, Death? But hasn't understood. Um, the plague that was in the 1600s or the 1700s. 16. Well, 16th century. there was definitely one in the in the 13th century or 12th century even. So I'm just wondering if, if this new age thing was a response to some sort of this, catastrophe. There was, no catastrophe. The The texts were brought to Europe for the first time and translated into Latin by Marcillo Ficino. Okay. And so these texts get translated into Latin. The intelligentsia of Europe, the Madonnas of their day can therefore now – and I mean that not Madonna in the kind of classical sense, but Madonna in the like – sense <laughs> thank she's you she's a material girl as you can now see well um, botox is a form of matter she believes in yeah, matter. botox plus plus um there was a giant new age movement it was very syncretistic and it just kind of picked and chose and hegel was ass deep in this stuff i mean all the way all the ass deep my no eyeball deep all the way in he was like breathing it his favorite philosophers were actually um not philosophers at all. They were mystics. People like uh, Jacob Boma, people like uh, Friedrich Odinger, who was labeled a theologian, but he wasn't. Um, people like Goethe. Uh, these guys were wizards. These guys were into the mysticism. There was a gigantic mystical movement, and it was Gnostic, and it was Hermetic, and it was whatever. And Hegel 
if you read Glenn Alexander McGee's Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition, I think it's an open and shut case. It's a, it's not an easy read. It's 300, almost 400 pages long, and it's not easy, but it's an open and shut case that this guy held a philosophy to the standard of mysticism all along, and what he created through the phenomenology of spirit, the philosophy of, of right, the philosophy of logic, the philosophy of spirit, uh, in the encyclopedias, what he created was a system – he calls it system der Wissenschaft, or a system of science, but what he actually created was a system of mysticism posing as science hammered into Christian theology. And this is where we've talked about the dialectic and Hegel's yeah. trinity, and we've done that before, and okay, I've done that yeah. a lot, and it's out there now. So critical consciousness is a way of transcending reality by bringing forth a more perfect union or, or an eternally imminent uh, perfecting of… That's hermeticism. <laughs> Hermeticism is the goal to transform reality. It is, in fact, as we were talking earlier about that the world is a world of distinctions and comprehension is understanding clarity and distinctions. Hermeticism is the belief that distinctions are arbitrary and that they are the thing that separates us from one another and God. Yeah, they okay. separate us from the all. There is a oneness to everything, and every bit of distinction is an illusion. And what we have to do is sublate in the Marxist terminology. We have to do the dialectic in the kind of Hegelian terminology. What we have to do is we have to look Aufheben, uh, in German, what we have to do is learn to see opposites as the same in kind but different in degree, lift up to a higher level of understanding, there's your gnosis, and look back down upon them and see apples and oranges are actually the same, two of the same kind of thing, for example, or uh, capitalism and communism are two of the same kind of thing, for example, so then you blend them together and you end up in the Deng Xiaoping model in China that they're trying to replicate at the World Economic Forum of the United Nations. And so – the elimination of distinction so that we can blur back into a single mind that is also the mind of God, that when it achieves that, finally realizes it's God, is the hermetic goal. And there's this whole – like they have their whole mythology, and I mean like literally a mythology. It comes out of, as far as I know, uh, if it has earlier roots, I don't know of them, but it comes out of Egypt. It comes out of Egyptian mysticism um, attributed to the god Toth, who is the Ibis-headed or Ibis-headed um, messenger god that's the equivalent of Hermes, hence Hermetic. Um, but so and, – and Gnosticism's goal and practice is – Gnosticism's for... goal is to become aware of the fact that being itself is a prison that can be escaped through knowing that it can be escaped and rejecting – so when Marcuse calls it a great refusal, rejecting the world that's in front of you, that's offered to you. Rejecting so the longer the arc of history bends towards justice or the zeitgeist, the prevailing spirit of the age is always going in a certain direction towards God. Um, that's – I mean these things get blurry. I would say that's more hermetic. That's okay. much more hermetic than it is Gnostic. Gnostic is very pessimistic in its disposition. Is there a practice? It doesn't we, sound like there's a practice to it or like a practice. There's a like, practice of spiritual awakening and raging at being, of rejecting okay. what's offered to us. So you don't do um, anything because doing something would be participating with being. You know our friend Mike Nana, when he always says that postmodernism stands aside and shits on the thing? Yeah. That's the praxis of Gnosticism. Okay. What I say is that with Hegel, Marx, Woke on down the line through the you know the entire 20, 19th and 20th into the 21st century that Gnosticism is the motivation for your practitioner and Hermeticism is the mechanism or the means by okay. which they approach it. So, for example, the trans phenomenon can be understood very, very easily in this, these terms. 
you were born into a body you didn't ask to be born into. Some guy called a doctor who's given social authority assigns you a sex at birth. Society, your parents, everybody, then you, the doctor said you're a girl, so you're a girl. And so now you're going to have social constructions about femininity and femaleness and girlness forced upon you to condition you into a prison called girlhood. And you can come to know your true self the way that behind the curtain in the mind of God you were actually meant to be. You, we could call it a gender soul if you want. And by rejecting the form that you're in and claiming uh, gnosis of who you truly are as queer or non-binary or trans or gender fluid or whatever else, then you can you you can assert your desire to be a, uh, set free from the prison of your body and the social constructions that enforce it upon you. Hermeticism, it's even weirder because it's a process of transformation. And so in that, what you can see, if you actually know the, we didn't talk about the the um, their kind of holy architecture, but hermeticism is where you get the trinities. And so you have a trinity. It's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's uh, God, um, mind, meaning divine mind, and man is the trinity. So you have – they are accorded kind of the status of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So man right. becomes the spirit or, the son. or man's zeitgeist, if you will, okay. spirit of the times. The geist – talked about in Phenomenology Desgeistis uh, from Hegel, Phenomenology of Spirit, is the description of how man as a society manifests a spirit, and that spirit can return to the true spirit by going through the phenomenological stages of development. That's a hermetic principle. This is the kind of stuff that Glenn Alexander McGee makes very clear, and it's very okay. accessible. Uh, it's a difficult book, but it's it's accessible. Um, but the goal is that with their trinity, it's a process. And so the first step in the hermetic faith, and I'll come back to trans in just a second, is to realize that you, in fact, are God, that you are the third person of the Godhead. They say this explicitly in the Corpus Hermeticum, which means they can't really get away from it in their religion. It's not like some fringe tangential thing they got tacked on later. Secondly, is that that's one level of being, but there's a higher level, which is the self-begotten God, which is the mind of God, and then there's the unbegotten God, which is the highest. That's the undifferentiated all yeah. in its full manifestation, or just God, however you want to phrase it. And so your goal is to re-merge with the undifferentiated all, to fold back into or recollect the pieces of spirit into the undifferentiated spirit. Hmm. But you have this transitional process. So you first realize that you are the third person of the Godhead, and by taking command of understanding your spiritual nature and development, then you are to elevate yourself to the second person of the Godhead. You are to see yourself in the mind of God and manifest yourself as not the begotten, but as the self-begotten. You are to become mm. your own Christ, to develop Christ consciousness and save yourself, and by saving yourself, save others. Well, what do we have in the trans phenomenon? You become aware of your gender soul or your true identity or whatever, and you uh, realize that there's this other true self out there. And so what do you do? You transform yourself until you are self-begetting the way that you believe that you've glimpsed yourself in the mind of God. Mm -hmm. You've had an insight into how you were meant to be before you had a sex assigned onto your body at birth by an authority figure that's socially constructed doctor and reinforced by a socially constructed society that expects certain things out of boys and girls. You saw yourself as you were truly meant to be, and then you're going to beget yourself into that form. When that's completed, you will fold back into the all, blah, blah, blah. But the goal is to become your own self-begotten savior. And it gets even weirder with the hermetic thing 
because they have a number of principles, seven of them, as their key principles for how it works, for example. And one of them is very famous, actually. It's the only one a lot of people have ever heard of, which is the principle of correspondence. Um, as above, so below. A lot below. of left-hand – as above, so below, as below, so above, as two pieces, and which is the, the snake eating its own tail, an image. And a lot of like left-hand path Satan type people have reached out to me like you have a really great understanding of this. Um, but don't throw us under the bus. We're not like them. And it's really funny how Satan people have literally were like written to me in insane quantities to tell me I understand it, but that I'm being too harsh on like their stuff. Uh, like we're not them. They're they're doing it wrong. They're the real bad guys. We're hmm. just in with Lucifer. Not that bad. Um, you know, it's like kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> for real. But the deal is, is that the principle of correspondence works like a wheel like a wheel that continues to turn and turn it like a perpetual revolution sort of right like yeah. we were talking about before and at the, at the end of the revolution is what another revolution at the end of that revolution is another revolution or as hegel put it it's the circle that presupposes its end as its own beginning um or it's beginning at its own end or whatever how about that and uh what do you have going on well you modify that which is down below as below so above right so you modify your body, which is fallen, defined by genitals, which are dirty and sexual and yeah. the seat of desire and thus all kinds of fallen, nasty, dirty, fall of man kind of stuff in the spiritual tradition. And you modify at that level. You literally cut your jimmy off or whatever. You you try to turn your, your hoo-ha inside out and, or take your forearm off and create a thing that's never going to work as a pretend dick. And so you modify yourself at the level of the most base Kind of if you know like a hierarchy of spiritual to to depraved, you're modifying yourself at the lowest level of below, and then you try to force society to accept you for that. That's as above, right? So as below, so above. You transform yourself, ask society, that's as above to accept you. When it that's called praxis and Marxism, by the way, and when it does accept you, the social constructions of society change. There's a huge social pressure to for trans acceptance and celebration and affirmation and gender affirming and all of this. The social constructions change, and now the society is actually changed, and you have as above, so below. Uh, the inversion of praxis, as Marx said it. So you, Marx, it's not as above, so below, as below, so above. It's inversion of praxis, praxis, inversion of praxis, praxis. But it, you can see this guy's a fucking wizard. It's the same hermeticism. It's exactly the same. It's very simple, actually. Yeah. Once you see this and then – does your average trans person know they're into this? I don't know because I put it on Twitter the other day about their dead names, and man, that was an exciting experiment. Oh yeah, they, they were like, like "This that. is the best yeah. way I've ever heard to have it described." James oh. is terrible. This James is James trans. How does he know? People are adopting it and copying. It's all over the map what the responses were. People <laughs> very angry. They went berserk about it, but the other people are like, "He's wrong." But if we would have said it, it would be right, you know, and. Then there's other people who are like nodding to the fact, like going further into the philosophy or not the philosophy, the sophistry. So th it's like they do know, they must know that well, the, they're the question in hermetic. Then behavior. is is it uh, is this like a social phenomenon or is it some sort of uh, hacking of a socio uh, a psychological problem? Because because they're, they're not they're not going to school and learning about all this stuff. I, I guess they are no, no, dumbed no, no, down no. gender they terms, going, so, but they're, they're 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 living this school. subconsciously. That's well, they're they're going to school and they're having the Gnostic motivation imported into them. Okay, you live through a women's life. studies, the, queer theory. There's all this oppression. Did you yeah. know you could be otherwise? There's the gnosis. Drag queen okay. story hour becomes an initiation rite. 
into living queerly, a preparatory introduction into alternate modes of kinship and living queerly. That's their that, words for Dragon Ball Z. That sounds hour. like they wrote that. They wrote that? They did write that. That's, what That's their wrote. words okay. for, for DQSH. Okay, so Drag Queen Story Hour is a preparatory introduction into alternate modes of kinship and living queerly. What does that mean? Sounds like an initiation rite. Into what? Queer Gnosticism, the idea that you could be other than the body that you live in. And by the way, you're super oppressed. There's the Gnostic impulse. That's the motivator. If you can get kids to believe, it doesn't matter. They don't have to know a word about Gnosticism. And in fact, it would probably be counterproductive for them to know about any of the religious aspects of this. If you can get them to believe that they are trapped in a body that imprisons them in misery— Say because they were born female, or because and body can get pregnant one day, and yeah. then they have to wipe. Or they're just off going through the puberty. Slate, every plan they've ever had, but technology affords us the ability to wipe out a pregnancy whenever we want. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have the Gnostic understanding of of womanhood, uh, and you understand the far left position on abortion is that they've been shackled to fertility they didn't ask to be born with, and it might change their vision that they had, which is obviously divinely inspired for the rest of their lives. Um, and they have to be able to preserve that at all costs. But they, if they knew the religious aspects of it, they'd probably recoil from a lot of it, or many of them would. So all you need is that Gnostic impulse, that the life that you've been cast into without you ever choosing it was dictated by others to be a prison, misery, Something that you – even by biology itself, huh. uh, which human beings should be able to elevate to a level where we can change if we want to. We can implant a uterus and a trans woman and um, what about Frankenstein. The, what's, your, what's your take on Neuralink? Uh, in 20 years, you're going to get the Neuralink to, to maintain your prime of mind? <sighs> Shit. That's a whole like – Benjamin, that's an hour. What are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, this is the consummation, right? Okay, so let's go hermetic some further. Hermetic sees the different planes. I said the begotten, the the, the self-begotten, and the, the undifferentiated all, the, the unbegotten. So begotten, self-begotten, unbegotten, and the higher up. They see these different planes uh, as being subdivided into there's like there's three primary realms and each one's subdivided into seven levels and each of the seven is divided into seven further levels they're, they're really tediously detailed about this shit I don't know when we get all the way down to the sub subdivisions but in the material world that we live in the so-called fallen world that we live in the begotten world the seven levels are as follows in order starting from the bottom up they are mineral vegetable animal Human is number four out of the seven, then um, etheric, like ethereal plane, astral, and then spirit. Okay. 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 So now we have this. So what are these? So what's Neuralink? What's Metaverse? Well, that's your your friggin' ethereal plane, buddy. You plug into the fucking Ethernet cable. The idea is that you can partially decouple from the body. You can do etheric transformations. We're going to live partially in a simulated spiritual realm that's a digital realm and partly in reality. And so the goal is to move humanity, just like Hitler literally was his plan, was to move from the fourth stage of humanity to the fifth spiritual stage, human to next level, to be led by the Aryans, which he got from a a cultist in all of this kind of shit named Helena Blavatsky, by the way, who... She's yeah, she's right in the chat right there. Hey, Helena. Helena Blavatsky, I'm telling you. Hi, Helena. No, yeah. Anyway, the goal is going to be to shift human beings into a digitally mimicked ethereal existence, a, a semi-real, semi-not-real, hyper-real existence. Astral would be if you uploaded your consciousness. You don't need the body anymore, technically. You become actually untethered from the body. Spirit is when that 
becomes collectivist as a gigantic single internet of brains or you know mm. internet of uploaded consciousnesses is maybe just one shared set of knowledges where everybody's mind is actually one mind um and then and we're just processing things out in the we're void. at the level of being able to begin to self-beget as a species and oh. so then you transition from the begotten world to the self-begotten world and so metaverse and Neuralink are are at least potentially steps in those directions, at least under the they don't have to be. I mean, you, it's morally repugnant to be against the idea of some of the medical advances that Neuralink technology can bring. But when you start looking at the we'll be as God side of it, it's morally repugnant to think that this is a good idea at all. Huh. Uh, you can use Neuralink to restore, you know, function to somebody's legs or something who's been paralyzed. You must. You must explore this. But on the other side, what do you do about the fact that we really don't want or shouldn't want our brains hooked to the internet directly? It's already bad enough that we carry around the black mirror and hook to it <laughs> through a proxy virtually constantly. Yeah. Um, and so these are really deep and hard questions for the moment. But Neuralink point – so this is the so-called transhuman agenda. What is transhuman? Well, we go up to the next level. We sublate beyond human, Right. Mineral, vegetable, animal, human, one up, ethereal, which you plug in through your Ethernet cable. I mean, it's the well, words. But are kind if, of funny. if if that stuff's happening just technologically, and you, you strip out all this social justice stuff, you know, you just rely completely on technology. You just go full accelerationist techno world rather than the social justice world. Is there any difference between them? Is is any better? Any worse? Is I'm it all the same thing? Are they going to not a hundred percent certain? But it seems to be that. The tyranny of the social justice world, the desire to force us all to have our own thoughts that that are the, also the correct thoughts um, distinguishes from the idea that maybe this is a technological development that we are headed toward and we're going to go into. But we're not going to be able to go into freely under the auspices of if you don't have right think you aren't allowed to participate huh. or we'll eject you from the system. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're afraid that people are going to come in there and have wrong thought and we're all going to be connected together. And then there's going to be, you know, ejection Factions. from the system or re rejection of the system or maybe know, dysfunction. The one world mind will have dissociative identity disorder and, and become psychotic. And then there's going to be a billion different personalities all vying for. I mean, it's like the story of Satan, right? So Satan decides he's going to be an angel of light. He's going to set himself apart. He's not going to follow a thing. Or we can use Tolkien's Melkor. Melkor decides he's going to sing a song contrary to the song of Eru Ilavata. But it turns out that Eru Ilavata is better than him. So he actually just incorporates the song and makes it more beautiful by taking his discordant parts. But the point is that you have this idea through the Iron Law of Vogue projection that they think that they are – the true divine, that's Gnosticism. They believe they have the glimpse of the true divine and everybody else only sees the false divine, sees they're falsely conscious. All the language lines up, Benjamin. Yeah. They're and so the Nothing falsely conscious the people are trying to would try to recreate the, de the, the demiurge rather than recreate or to, to merge with God. But they themselves, as an angel of light, are going to deliver us from that. So they project upon other people that they're the discordant element like Melkor because they are the discordant element like Melkor, who is the pinnacle of evil hmm. in the Tolkien universe. Because Iron Law woke projection never, ever misses. Because when you decide that you've uniquely seen the mind of God and everybody else has not, that's exactly how you would think about the world.
You, if you literally believed that you you're, had personally seen into the mind of God and gotten the hidden secrets nobody else did, you would you would behave exactly the way that they behave. Uh, well, I, I I have and I don't. So I mean, I'm, I'm your counter example. Doubt, doubt, doubt. Let me let me read some super chats. Thanks for the super chats. Thanks for everybody showing up to the stream. Uh, Sitch and Adam, do you know them? Sitch and Adam will be streaming, talking about this exact debate when you end. If you want to send a raid. Or show up and tell them they're wrong. So uh, somebody wants us to SWAT Sitch and Adam. Uh, well, we're not we're... going to SWAT anybody, but um, I do think that uh, I think that those people don't like me, like pathologically, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I don't know. They, they have I like eight-hour so streams, so it's really difficult. Masturbation for the afternoon. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know their take on James Lindsay, but that was mag. Do they know that I am creep of the week? Somebody should tell them I'm creep of the week. Creep of the week. Creep of the week. Creep of the week because drag Floyd. <laughs> That's Sunspot really says, is woke culture a catalyst for a parallel society? That's kind of my idea. Like there's going to be this shadow of a meritocracy and this uh, visible idiocracy kind of thing. Well, I mean, if it succeeds, it kind of would have to do something like that because stuff still has to get done. And we can all tell these people aren't going to do anything. Yeah. Mr. Meow Mom uh, uh, sent us a super chat just because James said 69. Nice. Nice. So Benjamin, I met could her. you she's touch? No, oh, she's great. Um, she's I haven't nice. met her though. Could you touch on Christopher Rufo's plan for the floundering woke university in Florida? I don't know it. Do you know this? It sounds like a reverse evergreen. I don't know the plan real well. I do know that there's a university in Florida that is actually preposterously woke. That's not apparently doing well. It's a very large university, and Mr. DeSantis has handed over the reins to. Um, of, of organizing what's going to happen with it to some degree. I don't know the details uh, to Chris Rufo and a number of other people kind of tangential or connected to. Wait, wait uh, are they Chris. part of the like board of governors or uh, yeah, something like this. what power I don't know, do they have? Uh, yeah. They, I don't know exactly, okay. but they're, they're in significant amounts of power over the, uh, over the university. Hmm. And so their goal is to going to be to try to build out a classical university, apparently somewhat like Hillsdale. Um, I don't really have a lot of comment on it. I think these are good experiments to have. Would uh, you take a appointment at a university like that at no. some point? Are you going to retire and just become a professor? I, I doubt it. I'm, I'm not particularly interested in becoming institutional man pretty much really? ever. Yeah, I mean, I would be happy to advise on things and be on advisory boards or whatever. You want tenure? No, no, I don't want to be institutional man. Huh? You're you're fine just being free, free, free floating. Somebody in the chat okay. says it's a small university, so I don't know. I've heard conflicting things. I'm I'm very limited. I know my my depth on this is I know that it's happening, and I don't know anything else about it. Okay. And I kind of know I know Chris Rufo's name. I don't know other names involved. So. I can't okay. say very much about it. So uh, Mano, Mano, Mano I wasn't Luna, particularly just... optimistic about University of Austin, and I don't know that this will be something to be that optimistic about. But well, I mean, it Florida goes back to what you're saying. Different. Florida if, is different. So you if you, can you do an alternative structure? You're saying be wary of building alternative structures. Well, not totally. I think we should. Yes, we need to be wary. It's it's more like. The, the, the more succinct or correct way to say what I think is that I don't think the answer to bad social engineering is more bad social engineering. Cut out the social engineering. And if our problem is actually that we're dealing with cult infusion into power, 
when we should address the problem of cult infusion into power. If our problem is actually that we're drinking some kind of societal snake oil for a disease that we don't really have, then we stop drinking the poison before we start to assess what the cure looks like. Okay. Uh, Brandon Garcia, uh, Western secularists and the Christians are joined at the hip. We have to work together. I agree. And in fact, what we're joined at the hip by is a common understanding that we are not God. We are not gods. We are we are um, humble before that which is bigger than us and out there uh, and that we understand that we can understand in mm -hmm. a limited fashion. We are united in that regard. We don't believe that we have the right to authority through our alleged consciousness to rule over other men. Um, and that's, I think, what uh, – or to even defy the boundaries of reality or attempt to defy them. And I think that that's what binds us together and that why we are, we are fundamentally on the same side, whether we're religious or not, uh, if we're opposed to woke. Now, if you're a religious person who – for whatever reason, thinks that you have some super inside fast track, you're actually not on the same side, you're on the wrong side. Um, if you think that you actually are, you know, talking to God through your hairdryer, as Sam Harris, I think, famously said once back when people <laughs> listened to him, except to laugh at him, uh, then you're not correct and you're not helping. Do you have anything, any thoughts on Sam? It just seems such such a phenomenal uh, inversion it's, of re reason. My comment remains. It's like I didn't know what the book, The Dialectic of Enlightenment, was about until I realized it was about Sam Harris. The Dialectic of Enlightenment is a book written by um, Max Horkheimer and Theodore Adorno. It's kind of the book of critical theory. It was published in 44 and revised and put out again in 47. And it's that, you know, reason – or a, a society based on reason will, through the dialectical process, finally wind down and reason itself will become a, a mythology and it will uh, become unreason and, in fact, eventually mythology and catastrophe uh, by the nature of how dial the dialectical process works within the domain or realm of reason. And Sam it becomes mythologized. It becomes deified. Is that what you're saying? Because yeah. religion. Yeah, okay. more or less. Is people yeah. look to being reasonable, or at least appearing to be reasonable, as kind of okay. um, this kind of super transcendent thing, and the, they miss so much of what's going on in the world as a result, and reason becomes unreason, and what we end up with is the science or. Uh, I think Dr. Rollergator said hi a second ago. But Dr. Rollergator, our friend that we we did a show with recently, hi, James also is also said, I, I, since he's been kicked off of Twitter, he gets kicked off of Twitter preposterously often for, <laughs> for no stupid reason things. that makes any the stupidest <laughs> things. Like I skate on thin ice, and he doesn't. But uh, he said that Sam Harris has the habit of – this is, I think, the most incisive commentary on Sam Harris I've ever heard. Is that Sam Harris has – very Dr. Relegator. Sam Harris has has mistaken talking in a calm voice for being reasonable again. Uh, I think about that almost every time I see Sam Harris say anything anymore at, these, at this point. What, what keeps you from uh, going down that rabbit hole then? What keeps you from, uh, I guess, mythologizing your belief system? I don't really have a belief system. It makes it real easy not to mythologize it. Uh, I really do like I want to live in a functioning society, but I really mostly just want to be left the hell alone. Yeah. And so I don't want to be told how to be or what to do. And so I don't want to tell other people how to do things either. Um, I want to see competent people fill positions that 
where stuff needs to get done and to be duly rewarded for their competence so that they're motivated to stay there or to come to that place. Uh, but I don't have a belief system that I want to enforce on other people. I, I literally don't have one. I think about it this way. Like even I do have, you know, obviously morals and all of these ethicals, uh, you, you know, alignments and all these things. But I think about it this way. It's like that's a set of heuristics and beliefs that work for my life and my situation. And while I might suggest, hey, you know, this might work for you. I might suggest that. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe if I learn more about your situation, my advice will be more accurate. But I have no reason to believe that my advice is going to be accurate based on the fact that, you know, I think that I've had some secret sauce handed to me. I just don't think that. Like, for example, I decided I was getting kind of fat. I saw some pictures of myself. I'm like, I'm sitting strongly, but so is my belly. Let's eat less and move more, which I just learned apparently has a long history of racism or something like that. It's oh, transphobic. Yeah, 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 it's one yeah, of the yeah, things. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. eat less, move more was specifically. And I'm sitting here. I've been doing it. Like I'm actually quite trim right now because I'm. And I said I was going to exercise. I am on top of. I'm 90 minutes a day of activity every day. Uh, what do you do? As a minimum and. Uh, Depends. This I mean, sounds like a Gnostic thing. You're beginning with the base matter, and you're you're working it. You're you're working it, and it's going to transcend no. to a higher form of being. No, because in the in the in the Hermetic Corpus Hermeticum, it says you have to start by hating your body, and you want to uh -huh. leave your body behind, actually. And oh. I am trying to perfect my body into the epitome of athletic dad bod. And so, um, no, I mean, like, first of all, I read this godforsaken longitudinal study across umpteen years with 400 plus thousand participants about the 10,000 steps a day. And it convinced me that this is remarkably good for you. And so I was like, you know what, I'm if I can sit on a chair and type bullshit into Twitter, I can walk up and down my driveway and type bullshit into Twitter. So. A lot of times people are like, James is on Twitter all day. Well, they don't know that I'm walking six miles while I'm tweeting. Where are you walking to? I mean, you don't my have to talk to you. are just your just driveway? Walk. Just up My driveway is pretty big. My driveway is actually like hundreds of feet long. <laughs> so it's not that inconvenient. I also walk around the neighborhood. I walk up the hill across the street. I walk down to the park, which is a quarter or three quarters of a mile from my house. I, and then I sometimes... You, are you listening to podcasts? Are you listening to... No, I don't. No, I okay, think about things think. that I want to do for my podcast or things that I might want to write or try to solve problems. Or yeah. depending if I'm... A, I walk in my driveway if I'm doing Twitter or texting or whatever bullshit because I don't want to die. Uh, I'm, I'm virtually certain I'm not going to accidentally walk into the road in my driveway, but I'm much more likely to get hit by a car like out in public. I mean, I, I text in airports and shit, so I know I can walk and text at the same time, but uh, like high skills at this and not crash into things. But it, it, I'm not that stupid. So I walk up and down the driveway. I have like a little set of weights. Sometimes I'll do a walk half a mile, then I'll do some weights, and I'll run half a mile, then I'll do some more weights. You know, just random calisthenic shit in between. I still train martial arts, so I'll walk a little. Are bit. Are you doing your do cold bath arts. thing? My Wim, Wim Wim Jimsers or something? Your oh, cold I mean, bath thing? the breathing. I'm less good at. I'm still doing the cold plunge every day. I did the cold plunge today. It's, it's not as fun in the winter. I'm not going to lie. It's much less fun to get in cold fucking water when it's cold outside. Um, when garage. it's like 90 out and you're dying and you get in the cold water, you're like, this is like the best thing that I did today. When it's like 31 and there's snow on the ground and it sucks and you get in the cold water, you're like – and the floor is so freaking cold <laughs> that your feet hurt before you get in the water and you're like, this is not going to be fun. Then you get out and your floor is still cold. It turns out it didn't warm up. It's not as good. 
but yeah, I'm still doing all this stuff. I train, do the martial arts, lift some weights, run, walk. Um, Sword swinging. The martial art has so many fucking exercises in it that if I wanted to try to do a reasonable smattering of them every day, I wouldn't be able to. And so it's like there's no lack of stuff to do. But the point is move for about 90 minutes a day or more. And I do pull-ups. I do push-ups as well, like regularly. Uh, you're and eating then like, like just strict yogurt diet or eggplant or something? No, I'm weird. eating a normal okay. diet. It's probably yeah. relatively high in fat and protein, moderate in the carbohydrates, but not zero. But I'm also eating. I don't eat until I'm like stuffed. I'm eating smaller meals very much intentionally. And guess what? That prototypical athletic you're down dad to body 260? form. 280? Down, no, I never got up that. I, I am down about, um, depending on where we're marking from, 12 to 15 pounds. And I'm looking pretty snazzy. I'm not going to lie. Take hey, the shirt off. This, I'm like, uh, I would suit. date me. Okay. Well, uh, okay. Hold on. Just kidding. Uh, I'm straight. And I look very much like a man. Uh, Gorgie was, G. Uh, writes, MAID is the ultimate uh, medical assistance in diets, the ultimate affirmative care. The medical industrial complex embraces the belief of someone who identifies as worthless to society. If I may addend to that, I will be interviewing a male to female, yeah, male to female transsexual later this week, along with Eva Kurilova, who is up in Canada, got a vagioplasty, uh, did not resolve uh psychological issues and is now eligible for made and dying. So if you want to chart the path of, of that Gnostic uh, or hermetic thing, like the ultimate both, thing would both. be to be shot out of the cannon by the government that transitioned you. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that is that just fantastically crazy. Um, have you ever watched the video and you should splice it in? Have you ever seen the video of George Bernard Shaw who the play playwright? You think, no, no, no. He was a Fabian socialist. He was actually one of the head of the Fabian Society. So this guy is a total whack job, progressive. And he has this video out, and Play you can right. find it on YouTube. Just type in George Bernard Shaw, lots of people I want to kill. <laughs> like, no kidding. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, oh, there that. are many people I would like to kill. And then he starts talking about how there should be a government board set up to where every however many years you have to show up and justify your existence. And if you can't, <laughs> see ya. He says this. But he's like, I'm sure you can think of people you would like to kill. I personally can think of a fabulous number of people I would like to kill. And it's like, holy shit. Who is this guy? Hmm. If you haven't I, seen the video, it's like a minute and a half. I put it on Twitter every now and then. Everybody should watch it on like, you know, many times to realize how demonic the people who, I mean, the Fabian Socialists are one of the organizations that have pushed for a lot of what we're dealing with today. How demonic the people behind these these movements really are. With the population control. And... People I would like to kill. There should be a board, a government bureau set up to where you show up and you must justify your existence. And if you cannot, then society does not need you. It's totally. Well, maybe up. maybe it was a British sarcasm that you're just mistranslating because the, the great sarcasm vowel shift. No, he was a Fabian socialist. He's a bad guy. Just a bad guy. No, no, no. There's no, no more apologizing for these people. I'm just, I'm just, I want to, I want to open up just the possibility. Adam Kenny, uh, thanks for the super chat. Corpus Hermeticum uh, 8, quote, that the greatest evil in man is the not knowing God. That's right. 
Yeah, the Corpus Hermeticum is worth reading. There's technically 17 books, just like there are 17 Sustainable Development Goals, but they don't have all 17 of them. Um, some of them have been lost or partially lost, uh, but it, it's definitely worth reading. Books, in my opinion, books 1, 8, and 10, maybe 11, I don't remember what 11 is about, are just kind of shocking. Uh, but definitely 1, 8, and 10 are just absolute must-reads if you kind of want to know how crackpot this this belief system is. Oh, it was shocking as in how uh, how much it lines up, like history rhyming kind of stuff? Yeah, that with, too. Uh, yeah, that too. I mean, I read the Corpus Hermeticum. For the, when I read it for the first time, I just kept saying, this explains Marx's economic and philosophic manuscripts. This is the philosophic side of his philosoph economic and philosophic manuscripts. And I didn't know. It's like he goes in a lot of weird tangents, and I didn't know why. And I'm pretty sure this is why. And so then in I dialogue asked with people this. about it who might stand and know these things. I said, do you think that Marx maybe plagiarized the Corpus Hermeticum and reframed it in terms of his bourgeoisie, his Gnostic, you know, religious architecture? And they were like, that's not a question. Of course he did. And so I was like, mm, all right. It would be uh, kind of scandalous to find out that Marx translate or the, the, you know, plagiarized a crackpot religious <laughs> book and called it economic theory. That would be sort of scandalous, I think, for that to come out and be rock solid. But the answer that I got from people who have, have read these things was straight up. That's not a question. Of course he did. Um, <laughs> so I don't have any proof of it, but that's what I that's what I was told when I asked the question. Asked, believe it or not, people think that I'm like fucking arrogant or something. I'm going around asking people questions. I don't know. I mean, this is weird uh, well, stuff. Related question from Omnifarious. Uh, I'm curious where James places Eastern philosophies like Buddhism and Taoism in relation to Gnosticism and Hermeticism. Have you thought well, much along that? That's a complicated question. Buddhism is almost definitely Hermetic in its uh, orientation, um, but it's typically very aesthetic. It's not usually trying to create like this collective thing. The idea is that you're going to elevate yourself, become a bodhisattva if you're a truly altruistic individual, and then like do your spiritual practice and your spiritual practice saves humanity basically by magic. Um, and, you know, you overcome distinction by renouncing it in your own life and you kind of just live it. And I honestly don't have a problem if people want to take up spiritual practices of that kind. I've had this conversation with a few people. It's when you take the idea of the principle of mind, which is that everything is mental, and then the principle of uh, polarity, that the opposites are the same in kind but different in degree and therefore should be reconciled as such. And you put those together and you realize we're all supposed to have one mind. Um, and that we're going to save humanity that way. And you start taking that quite literally, the totalitarian collectivist track of it that becomes very concerning. Um, Taoism, I know actually quite a lot about. It's definitely alchemical in its approach. Uh, the yin and the yang is obviously something like the um, principle of polarity from Hermeticism kind of expressed. Uh, but again, there is religious Taoism and it gets freaking weird, but mostly it's a highly libertarian ascetic social or like personal path to developing superior man uh, virtues. And it, this is something I was talking to my wife about last night. It's just kind of funny. I don't do like drugs, period. But I know I thanks to Sam Harris. I know a lot about like. Um, his comments, I should say, on uh, psychedelics and particularly LSD, which he's said some pretty wacky shit about. And 
I kind of went down that rabbit hole. A friend of mine was all interested in getting into it. Um, I was not and did not go psychonauting with him, but he talked to me about it all the time for a number of years, several years ago. And there's this phrase in LSD world, which is called set and setting. And I think that there's a not perfect way to apply this. But if you're seeing this as a personal path toward virtue enhancement and personal development, probably fine. If you think that we're going to remake the world with it, definitely not fine. Um, so that's like kind of a, it's not exactly set and setting, but it's kind of like that flavor of set and setting. It's like, it's got that idea about it. Um, Cause you didn't just I think that that set setting. I, I, I recall it, but I can't that, pin it down. Set and set setting. And setting. Well, yeah, well, well, your trip is going to last 10 hours and it might get real fucked up. And so you want to make sure that you're set, meaning like your mindset and, and where okay. you're at emotionally is squared up before you start and you're setting. Maybe you shouldn't be walking down the street or like Sam Harris on a fucking boat floating around in the lake in the middle of a mountain or something like that. Like you may want to choose a safe setting, because, you know, so the lighting right, make sure it's not like something that might trigger you into some kind of a bad trip or whatever. So apparently set and setting are important because otherwise they're going to knock you. You could end up in some pretty dangerous situations, either physically or psychologically. Uh, if you're not in the mood to trip, you shouldn't trip. That's part of set. And if you're not in a good place to trip kind of physical, physical environment, that's setting you probably shouldn't either. Um, but if those are solid, you might have a positive experience of it or whatever. So it, that's my understanding of the concept. Like I said, I don't do this shit. My friend was deciding he wanted to be a psychonaut and I was like, oh, tell me about that. Cause I'm actually a curious dude. I like to fucking hear, look down, just tell me what's going on, man. Uh, and so he's talking it through and I'm like, all right, learning all this kind of shit, watching some videos he sends me. I'm like, all right, didn't know anything about this. Um, good for you. Uh, so, I feel like there's something to it that way. If you're set on this is a, you know, a development for myself and I'm not going to, you know, try to actually start a cult or whatever, yeah, more power to you. And yeah. if you're a religious person like a Christian or whatever and you're looking at that and you're like, what did James just say? That's demonic practices. Yeah, it's between you and your God. Uh, I figure if you're if you're you can take it up with your God if you decide to do that or decide it's a bad thing to do it. Um, and on judgment day or if that's real then you know, everybody can account for why they got into magical practices. Uh, my martial art that I practice is based off of Taoism, so I understand a lot of Taoist principles. Um, and, I mean, it's visible. I mean, a lot of the concepts are visible. I can't disagree with the fact that there's some uh, continuity between Buddhism and Taoism. And even the monistic aspects of Hinduism, which is that there's only one true full-blown god, and then every other thing is an avatar of that god below that. Uh, those things, that kind of Eastern religion concept, all sort of are infused into this. Uh, I don't know how this works because Plato refers to it, like explicitly refers to it in the Phaedrus, which means it must predate Plato, which is no comment on anything to do with that, just chronologically. Um, I had read early on, so this, but this chronologically doesn't work. So something in my knowledge base about the history isn't right. That a lot of how the Hermetic belief and then uh, kind of became dominant in the Alexandria Egypt region was that um, people in Alexander's uh, Alexander the Great, I mean Alexander's entourage, brought it back after they went and conquered a lot of the Orient. Um, but that can't be because Alexander was a student of Aristotle and Aristotle was a student of Plato and Plato refers to it as being in Egypt before that. So um, my I got two conflicting pieces of history have not resolved the contradiction. Frankly, I'm not 
interested enough to, but that this is Eastern influence that somehow got translated through kind of um, Egyptian mythology is probably correct um, in some capacity or another. Uh, and I see the parallels. Buddhism is is quite clearly um, organized around this, uh, and but in kind of this weirdly benign way, and then um, Taoism is it take it one way or the other. If you're not making a cult, like you read Laozi, Laozi is like the biggest freaking libertarian in antiquity. Like there's probably not a bigger libertarian than Laozi in antiquity. Um, so the Tao Te Ching. Yeah, no. what, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody brought up creating the virtues of the superior man, and then it's, it's the superior man is an archetype that they they bring up again and again. Um, Gustavo Luisa, I think we've uh, stirred up some Catholic infighting here. Division between church and state was made by the Catholic Church in Canosa 1076, where the head of state was no longer the head of the church, as was the previous status quo. Integralists didn't understand their own history. So I don't, I don't, I don't. That's probably correct. The integralists are, are bad news. Everybody should go read about integralism right now because it's trying to make a comeback. There's a decent enough article on Wikipedia. Of course, integralism is not something they're usually super fans of, uh, but there is a there is a comeback movement within kind of the uh, far right Catholic contingent toward integralism, and it's a word a lot of people haven't heard. I'm not expert in it. I'm cursorily knowledgeable about it. Um, it's it is, looks like bad news. Hmm. They want an inquisition. They want <laughs> they want to set up a, a basically a Reich. Um, which is when the, the church and the state are working together. Uh, you know, Holy Roman Empire 2.0. Yeah, Nobody yeah, expects yeah. the Spanish Inquisition. No. Well, it, it'll happen to us all nowadays. Uh, if you have any sort of uh, institutional job, the, the woke culture will shake you up. Yeah, but they don't want... They, theirs is not woke. <laughs> um, theirs is more like uh, Franco, Pinochet, helicopter rides, etc. Oh, Okay. Um, so race Marxism was your most recentest book that was released uh, about a month yep. ago. No, no, no. You, you got the time right, but the, the title wrong. Race Marxism was last February. That was a year ago. In December, oh. we did oh. Marxification of Education. And uh, how is that doing? Any reviews? Quite yet? well. It's not, it didn't explode as much as race Marxism did, but it's actually having quite the impact. Uh, it's, it's selling pretty well. So it's getting out into a number of hands, uh, which is what, a, what I focus on about that, um, which is good. It is the feedback that I'm getting and seeing how people are applying the information and it, it seems to be very successful. Uh, people are seeing, and the point of the book is to show them how schools are um, basically swapping out what education should be for political literacy training and activism training and to show them how that's being done. Like specifically, this is the philosophy, the history, and how that philosophy and history lends itself to the methods we're actually seeing in schools. Um, so, and I'm looking, if you don't know, I'm looking very mighty. Let me see if I can get that on oh, the back you. cover. 
from a workshop that I did in Tampa, Florida. Oh, oh, who are you fisting? Why in the world? I think I was like trying to say that was a critical race theory workshop, actually. But I was holding up. I was like, on the one hand, this and on the other hand, that. And they snapped the picture when I had my arm out. And I'm looking like I'm ready to create an integralist program uh, in the picture. And I thought it was really hilarious. So that was the author picture we put on the back. Um but yeah, the Marxification of Education is a new book. It's Paulo Freire's Critical Marxism and the Theft of Education. Um, so, do you do audio books of these things? Uh, put them. It, on it's already out like as that. well. I okay. read it straight into this microphone, straight in this oh. chair, the whole thing. Where where can, and people can get that? All, it's all on Amazon, I guess. That's the yeah, your yeah. Because we're doing okay. independent publishing through the company imprint. So yeah. Um, It'll be extended distribution in three or four months. They don't put that out quickly. Uh, and when it comes out, you, other places, you can go find it other places. But for now, it's it's unfortunately at just the one. Um, please and thank you. Any, uh, any hopes for 2023 or intentions? Do you have an intentionality that you're going to I have manifest? intentions. Like I, I've, I've said you know, on Twitter, I've already kind of made plain. I want, for example... I want the level of public visibility uh, around queer theory, specifically, not the things that are happening as a result of queer theory, but the concept of queer theory itself. I want the level of visibility that critical race theory has attained to also extend to queer theory. And ideally, for people to understand that queer theory and critical race theory are two, um, two puppies in the same litter, if you will. Uh, and so I, I'm going to push hard on that. Uh, we're, I want to continue to discredit the ESG agenda, which we've spoken about in the past. I want to get on the radar, not just of the public, but of lawmakers and uh, policy people, the relevance of SEL, social emotional learning, which they are woefully under informed on. And I want to connect that as our enemies are doing ahead of us to the sustainable development goals and the United Nations Agenda 2030 Sustainable and Inclusive World Agenda, which ties back to the ESG. So if I can get people to understand and the Fabian theory, socialists, well, the Fabians are, you know, part and parcel of this. But if we can get people to understand queer theory and have that become an attack point like CRT, and if we can get people to understand the kind of triad of three-letter acronyms, SDG, ESG, SEL, and their relationship to one another, and understand that if we think of this, because a lot of people are like, oh, it's a dragon, and it's a hydra. If you cut off the head, it grows back a new yeah. head, right? Well, in a sense, the in a sense, the dragon, hydra, beast, whatever, has two heads and one heart is one way to phrase it, I guess. It has more than – it's like some, some fucking thing out of aliens or something where like the heads have multiple heads, but that's the hydra aspect. But the, they are – the two heads are ESG and SEL, environmental social governance scoring for corporate and institutional entities. So that's um, top-down control. And SEL, social-emotional learning, is the way to inculcate bottom-up demand. And then the serve, the heart of the monster, is the United Nations Sustainable Development Agenda, the Sustainable Development Goals, SDG, 17 goals to transform our world. And if you want a preview of your next 18 months, 
everything in education from preschool through PhD is going to bend toward achieving the sustainable development goals and getting kids bent on those in the next 18 months or thereabouts. All the documentation is there. The NEA is already kind of bought into it. The NEA is distributing curriculum guides about it. I just recorded a podcast that's halfway out right now. It's for subscribers only, but it'll be out for everybody this week um, going through an, a nas- uh, NEA document, National Education Association document, showing that they're distributing a curriculum guide, which is like teaching kids about world hunger in kindergarten, teaching them about you know, inclusivity and becoming activists through the different grades, grade by grade curriculum guide being published already that's explicitly to make K through 12 education geared toward teaching children to achieve the sustainable development goals. And the, the one world consciousness. Well, yes, that's right. Uh, what we might call if people catch the reference, uh, the, the science of right human relations. Yeah. Oh, um, what, what's up with a gas stove discourse? Um, it just kind of broke. Do you, do you have any, uh, guesses? Like it just yeah, came I mean, down the pipe. Think, like everybody has to talk about it now. We have to I get think rid of they the gas want stove, to, so. uh, have things that they can turn off remotely more easily. They can shut off your gas, but somebody has to come and turn like a, a valve or there could just be no gas, I guess. But with electric, just like with your electric car, they can literally do that remotely. If you have a smart stove, they could turn off your stove remotely. They could decide how much energy you're allowed to use, how much cooking you're allowed to do. Um, it's just another instrument of control. But they've been after this for a while. I mean, I've been seeing documents going mm. back a number of years. The World Economic Forum published a document. So whatever institute did this study apparently has been doing corrupt studies on this for a long time. Just completely bogus horseshit, like statistical you know, conflation studies. But then the World Economic Forum 11 months ago, last February, put out a document, last February 15th, so exactly 11 months ago, put out a document talking about how your your you know gas stove causes all these health problems and they're bad for the environment. Apparently, all the gas stoves in the world combined put out as much emissions as like 300,000 cars or something, which is – when you read that, you're like, so – you know, it's like that's it's like not two airplanes, much. something like that's like nothing. That? Yeah. What the fuck? Why is that a big deal? And so um, the the agenda is probably to try to push everything into electric to get completely off of fossil fuels to make everybody energy dependent just, upon whatever. It, it's grid just so silly that they it, it just all of a sudden like a talking point comes out and like everybody steps in line and, and pushes this. Well, I mean, the propaganda the, army goes to goes to play. And this it's is so most obvious. It's not subtle. Nobody seems what? It's not subtle. No, the propaganda thing goes full blast. And this is the dynamic. Nobody gets this. And this is so, so, so crucial to understanding our moment. It's so straightforward. Your average socialite, left-leaning, or even centrist, uninformed person wants nothing in the world more than not to get identified as holding a conservative opinion on anything. And – any opinion, therefore, that they can associate with being something that right-wing, MAGA, Trump-supporting, deplorable, conservative reactionaries might hold, they can make millions of people still – it's a dwindling number, but millions of people immediately afraid to hold that opinion. Now, this one didn't work as well. I mean Stephen Colbert kind of famously went and did his monologue, and not that he's exactly on the right. He went out and did his monologue and said that they were doing this thing with cooking with gas and blah, 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 his little joke. And then he was like, fuck you. You can pry it from my cold, dead hands or whatever. Like He's not giving up his gas stove, um, apparently. And but I don't all the babies because, in the world, but not the – he won't go for a gas stove. 
Yeah, so I mean, but it's it's simple. It's electric stoves are more controllable. The electric grid is more controllable than the um, than than stuff that involves actual physical infrastructure. And of course, fossil fuels have to be demonized in every possible way at every possible turn as the cause of all of our problems. So that the West will become energy dependent upon whatever scam grid they have. And obviously, they explicitly tell you countries like China won't be beholden to these. Countries like India won't be beholden to these standards, um, and we'll, we'll do other things. Uh, so th- that's what it's about. I mean, but it's the same pattern we always see. The propaganda goes nuts. Then you find out there's a World Economic Forum article about it a year ago. I mean, the pattern's yeah. totally consistent. And it, who did it come from? Like you know, AOC doing her little thing. This is why Alex Stein is like so freaking great. Like he completely wrecked her just with that big booty Latina girlfriend thing. Um, I just saw Alex the other day when I was in D.C. And she, we were right outside the Cannon Building where her office is. And he went and tried to find her, but she wasn't there. Uh-huh. It was a bummer. No, huh. I didn't go. Him and Dontarius went up in there. It was hilarious. Dude, I saw something. It's funny. That guy's really intense. He's a very intense comedian. He's hilarious. He's a very intense act. Yeah, he does. Which is funny if you meet him because he's so soft-spoken and mild and... He's a gentle giant, really. <laughs> Just like you. Actually, no, you're pretty consistent, aren't you? I'm pretty consistent. Uh, last super chat, and then we'll uh, wrap up the stream. Thanks for everybody for joining, and thank you, James. Glad to see yeah. you again this brand new year. Um, OMG puppies. In Chapter 4 of M. Kampf, you can see where the American progressives and Fabians influenced Hitler, his Methusian obsession preparing Germany for overpopulated dog-eat-dog future. Yeah, so M. Kampf there is, of course, Mein Kampf. We're talking about uh, Hitler uh, and his, his occult influences and the Fabian influences that he adopted. It's really interesting. We go back to this character. I told you, the, so the person who imported the concept of the swastika and the Aryan race as the superior human to Europe is this woman, Helena Blavatsky, that nobody's really heard of. She founded this thing called the Theosophical Society. Theosophy is what Hegel was dabbling in. It's like fake religion. It's this fake mysticism posing as religion stuff. That's what it tends to call itself when it's not posing as science. It tends to call itself uh, theosophy. And so she founds the Theos- Theosophical Society. She has a number of disciples. Hitler did not disciple under her, to my knowledge, but he read her stuff and it made his way. But you mentioned the Fabians. Well, it turns out Annie Besant, who was one of the famous Fabian socialists, was a member of uh, Blavatsky's Theosophical Society and one of its kind of prominent uh, devotees. And then um, – so there's your Fabian connection to the same occultism. Margaret Sanger of – uh, Planned Parenthood fame, the whole kind of eugenics movement was rooted in Blavatsky's ideas. In fact, one of the ideas that they held that influenced Sanger, probably the Fabians, H.G. Wells ran off with Sanger and came to the United States, uh, was that what's happening is that there are not enough souls ready to tra- – human souls ready to transition to the next level compared to the number of babies being born. And so what we're doing is we're creating – too many, too many cells. Hollow, kind of, yeah, yeah. Too many terracotta Vessels, soldiers yeah. that we have to now fill with like Lemurian, as she called them, and animal souls that are not ready to transition into the next plane of existence. And so this is honestly the occult justification behind Planned Parenthood. It's the occult justification behind a lot of the Fabian eugenics programs, which 
by the way, there are lots of people I would like to kill. H, uh, sorry, uh, George Bernard Shaw sure. was very involved with the eugenics of Hitler to create the Aryan race whole thing to concentrate the Aryan race. Blavatsky said that it's concentrated in the Caucasian Teutonic peoples. Um, so white people that there's virtually no Africans who have, you know, Aryan quality. There's a few Asians, but mostly not. There's another character that was very influential in this regard as well. That was a student of Blavatsky till she got kicked out. Her name was Alice a Bailey Bailey. Alice Bailey came to the United States with America. I think, no, no, no. She stayed in Britain and she married a Freemason by the name of, um, Foster Bailey. And, uh, so I assume her name was not Bailey before that. And, uh, he, he was a 32nd out of 32 out of 33 level Freemason, which is pretty high in the Scottish Rite thing. So that means she's well connected. Also probably theosophical in orientation or occult in orientation. And um, she wrote a number of books, created a publishing house that she called the Lucifer Publishing Company. The Lucifer Publishing Company got renamed the Lucius Publishing Company. The Lucius Publishing Company became the Lucius Trust. The Lucius Trust uh, is the primary print uh uh, publisher for the United Nations materials to this day. Um, and oh. Alice Bailey's influence informed the World Core curriculum that came out of UNESCO that became Common Core in the United States. And it informed the John Fetzer Institute to a tremendous level, or the Fetzer's Institute, named after John Fetzer, uh, who founded it. And he was a huge, huge proponent of her, became his own third, 33rd level Freemason, huge mystic theosophist, huge into the Course in Miracles, or A Course in Miracles, it's called, total whack job. And the Fetzer Institute is where social emotional learning and Castle were created uh, as well. So the, these weird ties, again, let me reiterate, the, uh, the, the, the office building in the United States for the Lucius Trust is in, it has the address 866 United Nations Plaza, which is not the main UN building, but it is on UN property. Um, all gets real weird. And so a lot of the things that are all happening have the same occult roots or spin-off versions of the same occult roots. But yeah, the the eugenics programs had to do with Blavatsky's claim that ba Bailey imported whole cloth that Margaret Sanger seemed to be massively influenced by that there are that we're not planning parenthood on the etheric level. That's actually where we're supposed to be planning parenthood. And since we're not planning parenthood on the etheric level, we're producing more babies than there are high quality souls for. And um, therefore, we have to do something about that. So the massive abortion push that they have that's integrated directly into our schools, et cetera, which in the United Nations, which is super weird, uh, unless you know this history, um, is because they believe that the babies that they're trying to encourage to be aborted are probably filled with a low quality soul that would be better off not trapped in a body that shouldn't have been born in the first place. And when you hear it like that, you're like, holy shit. And you know me, I didn't mean to believe <laughs> this. I just read their fucking books. From the source, this is the last one for the night, and then we're going to wrap up the stream. From Erica E. Lee, wonderful woman, uh, pediatrician. Uh, I've had her on my channel before. Congratulations on the Oxford debate, James, especially for okay. winning over an asexual, capital W-O, woman of color. Uh, oh, yeah, Yasmin Benoit. There was definitely some winning over there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, when, oh, you didn't, you didn't conquer her, but you won her over to, okay. Did no, you interact with other speakers at the event like Constantine and Yasmin? 
uh, I mean, she was friendly with everybody. We all kind of got along. It was really a positive social environment among everybody. So that was nice to say. I like how this Vic V says that I am way off by pointing out a bunch of other things that Theosophical uh, Society supported, like uh, yoga and vegetarianism and feminism. Yeah, like no shit. It's all the same crap. What are you talking about? Um, I'm not way off. I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> like usual. Well, congratulations on that, James. It took you. They took you. Uh, what we streamed in October? Oh, it was a couple months ago. So it was. I don't know. We did one with Gator. Right the last one I did, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. we did it with Gator. Probably December. Yeah. Well, it got published. It's doing great numbers. So there you go. Hopefully, people yeah. buy more of your books. Follow you online. You're back on Twitter again, conceptual, James. For the moment, because I'm really skating on some thin ice. I don't know if you've noticed, I've been going around on there and looking for people who have bad left-leaning opinions and telling them that I hope they go get their next booster as soon as possible. Oh, is this your? Is this like a death threat or a life threat? Like, what, well, what, what's the game here? What's that depends threat? on their perspective, doesn't it? Hmm. I mean, I know what I'm saying, <laughs> but it's only against the rules if they accept my logic. Isn't that neat? Yeah. I'm so excited about that. You're always gaming the system. Always gaming. They shouldn't leave huge cracks in it. If they don't <laughs> want me to stick a gigantic wedge into the crack and bust it open, they shouldn't leave one. That's it. Good night, James. Good night, Benjamin. There we go.